0: Superman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and
1: Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, Two D Man and hour man Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and
0: Arisia, and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey! What?
1: What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mittelfuzzle, Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Airda Mobile Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.com. How you doing, buddy?
0: I'm I'm doing all right. Uh, some of you might notice my voice sounds maybe slightly different than it normally does. Um, just let everybody know what's going on. I'm I'm sort of dealing with a head cold right now, and uh, we actually contemplated not doing a show this week, but we we happened to already have the Who's Who show scheduled, and we love doing Who's Who so much that <laughs> I was like, we're going to muscle through it. So. Uh, you'll forgive me if I sound a little, uh, little rough and a little sniffly and even more difficult to listen to than I normally am. Uh, right. But we're, we're gonna, we're gonna muscle through it because we as I said we we never want to skip out doing Who's Who, even for you know, even if it means like just a week a week delay. We we wanna, we really want to get to these.
1: Speaking of getting to these, um, we don't really want to delay too much because uh, I did some calculations. Yes, yes. <laughs> if we cover one issue of Who's Who a month, we cover you know. <laughs> Who's Who this series from 85. We cover Ambush Bug number 3 by popular demand. We cover Update 87, Update 88, the annuals, uh, the, the the loose leaf edition, <laughs> Update 93, you know, and th- and then we get to the Mayfair supplements which I'm dying to cover and then the Legion issues and the Impact, you know, Who's Who in Impact, Who's Who in Star Trek. Yes, we will finish in April 2018. <laughs> Now, if we get a little, you know, a little dicey, and we drop the who's who in the Legion, who's who in Impact, and who's who in Star Trek, that saves us a year, and we get done in April two thousand seventeen. Oh so well,
0: wow. all right. That's the I
1: I'm think I'm going to be paying my way, my kids' way through college when we're done with this thing. Uh,
0: <laughs> that in stock trades money is going to build up. <laughs>
1: Speaking of which, uh, you know, let's give a shout out to our sponsors real quick, Uh, folks. uh, The Who's Who podcast is sponsored in part by In Stock Trades, and if you're not familiar with them, they are your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty-five percent off with free shipping on orders of fifty dollars or more, which totally rocks. I'm going to give you going to give you two choices here today, folks. Uh, I to. Just a little sneak peek ahead. We're going to cover the Justice Society this issue. Mm Woohoo! And I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of some trades out there for them. You can pick up Showcase Presents All Star Comics Trade Paperback Volume 1, which collects the 1970s Adventures of the JSA, which was in uh, All Star Comics, which started with, picked up. All-Star Comics number 58. Picked up the numbering from the 1940s. And then eventually we went over to Adventure Comics. These are awesome guys. I mean, it's, it's Paul Levitt. It's Jerry Conway. This is where Power Girl is introduced. This is where Robin and Huntress and Star Kid all join the Justice Society as the um, super squad. I mean, these are awesome. I absolutely love these things you get. Psycho Pirate, Vandal Savage, Injustice Society. Anyway, lots of fun. Art by Wal- uh, Wally Wood, Joe Staton, the Covers by Brian Bolland. It's, it's just really fun stuff. 448 pages. That's a um, lot of pages. Now, it's a, it's a showcase, so it's a black and white, but you know what? For 448 pages, you know, retails normally for 19 99 In stock trades, you can get it for $10.99. That's a deal. Which is only 45% off. Now, if you want to spend a couple dollars more and you can't stand black and white, you can get the same comics across two trade paperbacks. That's Justice Society Volume 1 trade paperback and Justice Society Volume 2 trade paperback. Again, same exact comic, comics, except these are in color. It's across two trades. Uh, first one's 224 packs, so they're both 224 pages apiece, which, by the way, if you add those together, it's 448, same thing I just said a second ago. <gasps> um, I know, shocking. Anyway, uh, these are full color. They normally go for 14 but you can get them 45% off for each one for $8.24 a piece. So... Black and white, you can get it for 10 99 in color. Together, you can get them for $16 and some change. Unbelievable. In-stock trades, totally rocks. What do you got, buddy?
0: Uh, well, as everybody remembers from the last episode of FUSU that I flipped out that there was no listing for Johnny Double, uh, completely forgetting about the fact that Johnny is spelled J-O-N-N-Y, not J-O-H-N-N-Y. So he does <laughs> appear in this issue. In fact, he leads off this issue. Um, so I wanted to uh, talk about the Vertigo, as they called Vertigo Resurrected, Series Johnny Double it was a mini series by the team of behind um a Hundred Bullets by Brian Azarello and Eduardo Riso, so you can get that collected in a trade paperback. It's- it's a slim 96 pages, covers by Dave Johnson, for only four dollars and thirty nine cents.
1: Oh my gosh. The
0: normal price is seven ninety nine. This is only four thirty nine. Forty five percent off. Totally worth it. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I I just I have sort of a soft spot for Johnny Double and that kind of like hard bitten PI stuff and and uh, the Hundred Bullets guys were the best guy the best guys possible to do like their own version of it. And what I liked is that they you know put like a gloss over it, but they didn't like completely. Build it, rebuild it from the ground up. They sort of just did a classic Johnny double story in a lot of ways. So that's totally worth it. $4.39. You can't beat
1: that. Fantastic. Well, folks, again, in Stock Trades is your best source for uh, collected editions, hardcovers, all that jazz, uh, for up to 45% off and free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Please check out InStockTrades.com. Now, uh, one of the things I've got to talk about here to lead off the issue is our good buddy Ange, who runs the Supergirl blog, sent us – uh, a letter column, which uh, at first I was like, what is this? Why, why is this relevant? I don't know what I'm doing here. And uh, it's from a DC Comics Presents issue. And uh, the letter's from a guy named Chuck sholia And uh, he wrote a letter about the DC Comics Presents stuff. Anyway, but he writes in here, I know the techniques of how the writer writes the story, how the artist pencils and inks, but how the letter is letter, but how, and how the color is colors. But there's one technique I don't understand. In the cover, the background drawing of Superman was done in some kind of pink ink. <laughs> you know it, You know this is the uh, era of flexographic. It's got to be probably. Anyway, this process is now commonly being used in other comic book covers. My question is, how is this process done? So, we get a response from the editor here. Here it comes. Uh, you ready? Hold on to your seats. The real question is, how to explain the answer in less than 30 syllables? The process is known as, quote, color hold or quote, Surprint. <laughs> and it goes on, production manager Bob Rosaskis, uh, Rosakis, who, by the way, we know him as Answer Man, would appreciate if everyone realized the proper name is Surprint, but we commonly use both. There are two, <laughs> two way... What was that?
0: <laughs> I was doing the sound of an arrow shooting into a wall. <laughs>
1: I it was a $6 million man. Um, there's two ways the artist can prepare the drawing for this. He can ink the background on a separate sheet of vellum, which is very likely tracing paper, only it uh, has more substance to it. Or he can do the inking directly on the drawing in a red pencil outline using a flare. From there, the color separation process takes over. Since the hold is a color, it needs no black lines. In fact, it can't have any. The separately inked piece is shot, as in photography, for whatever color the hold will be in. Without a black plate. This means whatever combination is required to make up that particular color will have a plate, but there will be not be any black ink for that portion alone. There's only – and talks about the color process and all that, but I think we have uh, hit upon it. And uh, we might add that uh, we would not have been able to make such a coherent explanation of the process without our friends at Chemical Color in Connecticut who explained it all to us when we made a field trip up there a few months ago. <laughs> So, awesome, awesome. Thank you, Ange, for sending that to us. Again, that came from a DC Comics Presents issue. And uh, there you have it, folks. I feel vindicated. Bob Rosakis. The Answer Man. Rosakis. Why do you
0: say
1: Yeah, because I'm known for pronouncing things correctly. Anyway, the Answer Man himself says that the proper name is Serpent. So, Ah. (laughs) <laughs> you, you drink that. Uh, you drink that uh, Benadryl of a pride, there, my I'm friend. I'm going
0: to. I'm going to put a little bit of rum in my Benadryl. It's going to make me feel good.
1: Uh, drink a and That kind of does the trick. But anyway, uh, then man, it's it's it, this is an amazing month for us. Not only have we got a great issue, we've also got just lots of cool things to cover. We also got these great things from Michael Bailey. He, uh, you know, views from the long box, uh, Fortress of Bailey, dude. <laughs> from crisis to crisis, I actually don't have enough time to list everything he does. Defender
0: of Superman, quest for peace. <laughs>
1: Well, he, uh, he actually calls himself Superman Apologist. <laughs> well, he sent us two Who's Who articles that we have been remiss in wait, mentioning. Wait,
0: wait, wait. Hold on. What? I'm sorry. I, calling himself a Superman Apologist uh-huh. blankets the specific nuttery that comes with defending Superman for The Quest for Peace. You, you can be that. You know what I mean. Like he's he's covering a, a lot of territory there by calling himself a Superman apologist. If, if somebody hears that title, they might not even think about Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. I listened to him for ninety minutes on his podcast defend Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. That is a level of insanity that that very few people achieve. So I want him to own it. He's not just a <laughs> Superman apologist. He is a defender of Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. <laughs>
1: You know, there's a time and a place, buddy. <laughs>
0: I, when else am I going to bring it up?
1: I know, I know. So
0: other than every day for the rest of my life,
1: exactly. <laughs> well, he sent us two uh, articles from the fanzine. Uh, oh my gosh, I, I almost don't want to call it a fanzine because it was such a re- real publication, but the yeah, um, uh,
0: comics magazine.
1: Yeah, there you go. Comics journalism mail- magazine called Amazing Heroes. Uh, which great magazine. Anyway, he sent us two articles. One of which we're going to discuss today. The other one we're going to save. Um, well, the, the other article is "What About Those Beloved DC Characters Who Didn't Make It Into Who's Who?" So I think we're going to save that for when we cover that ambush bug issue that uh, everyone has been demanding we cover. So I think that would be those will nice. Those will segue nicely together. So. The other article he sent us was the official guide to who's who artists. And it's this great article, and I'll put it up on the Tumblr, that goes through and lists uh, basically every artist who drew something in the original 26 issue run. And it lists the artist by last name and then tells you all the characters they worked on. Uh, it's pretty uh, astonishing, this listing. And, you know, it's kind of. It's a nice celebration of everything. And it's picked out, they picked out a couple of really choice ones to show. Like they've got Mike Kaluta's Madam Xanadu. They've got Dave Gibbons' Batlash. They've got whew, Dave, Dave Stevens' Dolphin. <laughs> so, anyway, it's a, it's a really nice article. And I don't know if you noticed the, art, the, the the not the artist, the person who compiled it, his name is Andy Mangels. I Andy Mangels, yes.
0: Yeah, foam member, author, Andy Mangels.
1: He's a foam member? He is. Dude, you know how I know him? He, well, he's he's got a lot of comic book credits. Well, I don't I don't know him know him, but um, Star Trek author, right?
0: Yes, he's written he's written a great many things.
1: Yeah, I I, I have a, a passion for Star Trek novels, um, like original Star Trek novels, that right. are, you know. And uh, he's written a few that I've read, so it was kind of like whoa, I had no idea he was into all this stuff. So that was pretty cool. So anyway, thank you, Michael Bailey, for that. And we'll put that article up on the Who's Who Tumblr and what we'll uh, Fire and Water Tumblr. What's what's that Tumblr
0: address? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com.
1: Rock on. There you go, folks. All right. Well, I think it's time to start getting into this, man. You ready? I'm, I'm ready. I am ready to go. Awesome. OK, well, folks, we are covering Who's Who Volume XII, which is 12 for you, Roman Numerally Challenged, uh, cover of February 1986. And, folks, this, this puppy hit the shelves on November 21st, 1985. So set your way back, machines, and head back there, folks. Now, interesting to note, Crisis on Infinite Earths number 12, the final issue, hit the shelves one week after this. So this issue has come out after the big world changer at the end of number 10. Or was it the beginning of number two. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think it was the end of number twenty. But either way, so, you know, everything is down to one universe, and this this issue sort of acknowledges that a couple times. Now, if this is your first time listening to Who's Who podcast, I'm going to give you some of the uh, the background here. It is a 26-issue series celebrated 50th anniversary of DC Comics, and uh, it is an alphabetical listing. We're going to be covering the J's through the K's this time, or at least some of the K's. And actually, I guess we're just kind of cleaning up the J's. Anyway... We're in the middle of the alphabet. The cover is a, is, is a jam of all the characters uh, thrown on there. We'll talk about the cover in just a second. No advertisements in this sucker, folks. 32 pages, $1, no ads. Still love it. Now, our goal is that you don't need to have the issue in front of you. As we go through it, we are going to post eh, 10 to 15 of these entries on our Tumblr, which Rob just mentioned. So you'll be able to follow on there. Also, hopefully we're going to describe them in such a way that you won't need to. The entries cover their personal data, their histories, their powers and weapons. And we're going to pick out certain things that we found interesting to talk about. Rob seems to be entirely focused on people's height. I don't get that. I think he's got some sort of vertically challenged issue, but we'll talk about that. And then uh, the background, you've got, or the, the image, you've got a foreground ish image of the characters in color. And uh, then in the background, you've got what is officially called the Surprint. Single Yay. color. And, and, the, and the goal of the background was always to show the character... Uh, a close-up of their face without their mask, and, uh, and then doing something that sort of either relates to their origin or ties into their, you know, whatever their, their powers are and such. And, of course, surrounding each entry is these yellow dots, which are supposed to represent the color printing process. So there you go. And uh, with that, you know, we're going to start talking about this issue. Now, Rob, this cover... Uh, I I have been particularly hard on Paris Collins and Dick Giordano for a few months of of Who's who's, Who covers. Uh, Last month, I said I felt like we actually got a pretty good cover. And this month, I think we've gotten one of the best ones we've gotten yet.
0: Well, of course, because they put Firestorm's villain as the main character.
1: And you know what? Normally, I would agree with you that I'm being biased. But actually, you know what I think it was that made this one work? There are very, very few characters in this issue. Uh, as we go through it, this issue kind of blows by really fast because there's a lot of multi page spreads and there's a lot of teams. So you don't get, they don't, when they do teams, they don't typically put the teams here because they have their own individual entries. So, I mean, there's not a lot of characters on this cover. You know, normally you have like a bunch of characters in the background shoved around. Other than the uh, Knights of the Galaxy, no one's really gotten wedged in, you know, in the corner.
0: Yeah, comparatively, it's, it's
1: fairly depopulated. So your cover, as Rob mentioned, does have Killer Frost. She is actually in the most prominent position of any character on the cover, which is, you know, makes me pretty happy because she's a Firestorm villain, obviously. But your other major characters you get, you get Kid Flash on the cover, obviously from New Teen Titans, and you get like a sort of kind of like little tiny piece of Katana, who uh, was, you know, obviously a big character in Batman and the Outsiders. So those are kind of your, the best marquee characters they've got in here, I would say, really, of, of popular books at the time.
0: You wouldn't think, would you? Think that the the reason Killer Frost is the main figure is because Firestorm was one of their best selling books at the time. I mean, it, it seems strange to me that she got it over Kid Flash.
1: Yeah, I you know I would agree. I think Kid Flash should have got it, but it may be that they felt like, well, Flash already right, got a cover. Right, right, right. But um, yeah, I mean, Killer Frost was pretty high profile because she, you know, she's the Firestorm character. Like you said, she also had a role in Crisis. You know, a, a not a huge role. But, you know, a speaking part, if you will. <laughs> she wasn't an extra. Um, but, you know, now that I think about it, Kid Flash probably should have been more prominent because he was about to become the Flash.
0: Right, and he was in New Teen Titans, which was DC's other best-selling title. But yeah. I, I bet we, we should ask uh, Bob Greenberger or something at this point, but but I bet you're right that it's like, you know, they gave it to Flash. We're not going to give it to Kid Flash.
1: Well, yeah, whatever. Uh, other ones worth interested, you know, there's there's... The way this one works is, I kind of like this one because it's got a black, like the the background. Normally, there's like a different color, where it's blue or green or whatever. This one's black, so it kind of makes everything pop a little bit more. And there's a lot of, uh, I don't, I'm assuming they're ice slides all over the place. Like, you know, Bobby Drake, Iceman, sort of ice slides everywhere. But they might be crystal. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Hmm. No, is I think Cole... yeah, I think they're because it could be what Cole's doing. No, but I think it's, I think it's ice. I think
1: it's ice. okay. Then what is Cole doing? Because she's back there. She's clearly doing something. But she's
0: looking. She's, looked, she's r- about to use her powers, but she hasn't done it yet.
1: Okay. No, you know what? To.
0: It is ice because you can see Commandy shivering.
1: Ah, okay. So good Cole point. Good point. Here. Boy needs to put some clothes on. So it, Kong doesn't seem to have that problem though. No, he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's all right. Is that what you're
0: yeah. Well, I'm saying he's doing. He's doing her. He's. He's a cave guy. He's used to cold, cold temperatures and warm temperatures, all different things.
1: There you go. Ice age. <laughs> uh, I do like the the cahoons uh, is how I say them. I don't know. You know, are they in the glossary? I should look that up. Let's see. Of course they're not. Anyway, um, <laughs> I like how the cahoons are getting their butt handed to them by uh, Karate Kid and Judo Master. <laughs> it's
0: a fearsome a fearsome group of foes.
1: You know, the irony is Karate Kid is actually uh, punching someone, not doing karate.
0: <laughs> hmm.
1: And then there's a fun bit where Kid Devil is uh giving Calabac a headache, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm.
0: I like uh uh Kana the Shadow Warrior dropping in upside down.
1: Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that.
0: <laughs> I enjoy that.
1: That is pretty slick. Oh he's got the rope tied around his leg and everything. Yeah, yeah look at that. And okay, it looks like Kid Flash you got a couple of Cahoons as well. I didn't even notice. I do like Jor-El snuggling up next to Candor, yeah, that's the- cute. <laughs> And then Faraday with the martini. Looks yes. Or is that? Or is that Johnny Peril? Is that? No that's,
0: no, that's King Faraday.
1: Okay, yeah. Faraday's got the martini, probably shaken not stirred. I'm he sure. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anything cover? Oh, and of course, uh, Cobra looks really nice in the foreground. He's plotting. He's doing his
0: Mister Burns kind of thing there.
1: Or he's taking a nap. I'm not sure which.
0: No, he's clearly plotting. On,
1: I know. but the hands—the hands almost look like he's getting ready to take a nap, though. So let's see what else we got going on here. Um I guess that's it. So I'm moving on to the letters page if you're okay with that. I think so. All right. Now uh let's see. The letters were they were fine. Um they nothing not a lot jumped out of me on this letters page. I will one thing I did note though is they responded to a, a TM Maple letter. Because he asked for a Who's Who annual. And they kind of said some different things. And then they said that they are planning on additional Who's Who series. uh, As in Who's Who. Well, they they said Who's Who series based on the Teen Titans. Which would have been pretty cool. We never saw that. Uh, Legion, which we did see. They mentioned Star Trek, which we did see. And also a Who's Who for Green Lantern Corps, which we never saw. So a a Who's Who for Titans and a Who's Who for Green Lantern would be pretty cool. Kind of ironic that... um, there was also a. It was either Mayfair Games or I guess it was West End Games playing a, a Green Lantern source book and a Teen Titan source book, and neither one of those came to be either. Oh, mm-hmm. poor guys. Oh, 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 There is there is totally something in this letters page. You, you know where I'm going, right? All right, go ahead. You know where I'm going? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, uh, Stephen Hornstein said one last comment. Why was the Aquaman of Earth Two not an issue number one? And the response is. <gasps> Since he was never seen, there's nothing to say about the Earth 2 Aquaman. Dun-dun-dun-dun! There it is, man. He was never even seen. He well, doesn't this. will
0: read the rest of it.
1: Eh, it's like some nonsense here. It says, now that Crisis on Infinite Earth is coming to an end, and all of our characters are on one Earth, there is only one Aquaman. There you go. But well, there was only ever one Aquaman. Because they said, even though the Earth 2 Aquaman, they acknowledged he existed, no one ever saw him. So what that means... Is Aquaman from the 1940s with the yellow gloves was not, in fact, the Aquaman of Earth Two. He was simply the same Aquaman's original adventures.
0: Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. So,
1: you gonna argue with Len?
0: Yeah, I am gonna argue with Len. That is ridiculous.
1: Let's get him on the phone. Yeah, okay. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? That would. Uh, we should think about that. Anyway, uh, real quick, running down the uh, credits. And do you have anything more on letters? Uh, no. I mean, I no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just
0: I enjoyed that the, the, there was another letter about asking uh, for DC to acknowledge when certain characters are not part of their mar- part of their universe. Mm. And at the bottom here, they have a paragraph. One of the things we enjoy, one of the things we like most about DC, is that we can publish any number of series and not feel obligated to make them fit into one single continuity. It frees writers to come up with series like Watchmen or Nathaniel Dusk. So thank God we've gotten rid of all that in New Fifty Two.
1: <laughs> um, very nice. Well, well, well said, sir. So, uh, under the Who's Who credits, you know, you get your usual folks: Lynn Wein, Mark Wolfman, Rob, Robert Greenberger, Mike W. Barr, Gary Cohn, Paul Levitt, etc., etc., etc. Now, there's one <laughs> glaring name missing. You know, for the first what ten issues, nine issues, we consistently uh, focused in noticed that there was you know someone under the proofreader title of Brenda Pope. And Brent, we used to joke about how Brenda was probably driven insane by having to read all this incredible fine print, all these nutso terms that aren't even English, and having to proofread all this nonsense. In fact, in the last issue, we got a lot of comments from people in the feedback where they would point out errors, and they're like, we need a proofreader! <laughs> so, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I did a little internet stalking, <laughs> and I found... Brenda Pope. I swear to God, I'm not kidding. I found her and I communicated with her, and we emailed back and forth. And I wrote to her and said, "Hey, you know, we, we're doing this Who's Who podcast, and you know, I believe you worked on that book." And <laughs> I I'd mentioned love her to.
0: reaction was like, "You're doing a what, what?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, "You know, I'd love to ask you a few questions." And she was kind enough to write me back. By the way, she's—I uh, guess she's married now. It's Brenda Pope Ostro. and she wrote me back, and she says, "Hello." Well, I was working at DC Comics at the time. I did not work on that series, I'm pretty sure. And if I did, I have no recollection of it. <laughs> my, my, experience at Com- <laughs> my experience at DC Comics was, of course, wonderful. And I got to meet and work with so many creative people. But because I profread so many projects, only a few stand out after so many years. Sorry. Uh, it was a very nice letter I got from her. And uh, do you remember what your response was, Rob, when I, when I shared this with you? I don't. Your exact words were "must be survivor's guilt." No, okay. <laughs> so clearly, working on Who's Who was so traumatic for her, she blocked it out.
0: <laughs> that, is, that is just astounding that she had no memory of it at all. That is, I mean, it's what? not, it's
1: not, but it's still, you know. <laughs> well, it's possible they slapped her name on the credits and she didn't. She never no, worked. I no, mean, but she did.
0: No, I'm sure she did. But I mean, proofread. I, I'm sure she just was had to proofread so many pages per day that that that. that you know, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like these books were handed to her, you know, looking like they do. It was all. Sure. It all came in as you know, just black and white pages. You know, it probably, probably all looked the right. same. Yeah, all type typewritten written written st- pages. Yeah, so it probably all looked the same after a while. So you know, it, it's not surprising, but considering we're spending this much of our lives focusing on it, is a little disappointing that she has no memory <laughs> of it at all.
1: Well, no, that's more our problem than hers. But
0: <laughs> I'd say she's handling it quite well.
1: I think so, too. So, uh, that was kind of, it was just a joyous day for me when she responded. I was like, oh
0: my gosh! (laughs) Or, I have an alternate theory.
1: Maybe
0: Uh her husband is such a nerd, and she knows he's an obsessive nerd, that she has to hide the fact that she worked on Who's Who, otherwise she'd be peppered with questions throughout their entire marriage about obscure characters.
1: I think you hit the nail on the head, man. I think that's it.
0: She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, I didn't work on that. No. (laughs) She's like – she she saw your email and he's reading it over her shoulder and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. this is I'm just having an affair with this guy, honey. It's not not a big deal. He's like, oh, OK. okay. <laughs> Something less suspicious than that.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know how you see through me. You're amazing. <laughs> you, you got it, man. <laughs> All right. So um, moving on, we've got a pronunciation glossary here, which, uh, which is a little helpful if you don't know how to pronounce Calabac, if you missed the super friend somehow or Commandy you know. But uh and also katana, you know, that's an interesting one because like a lot of people I'm from the South, so they'd say Katana, you know, katana from the outsiders. So here it clearly says it's katana. So
0: ironically Calabac would be one of the few characters people would know how to pronounce because he was on the cartoon you know, he was on like your television every Saturday morning.
1: Right. So there you go. Okay, so our first character, as you mentioned, Rob, is Johnny Double. Johnny without an H. Johnny yes, double.
0: I, I feel ashamed that I goofed and forgot that he wasn't in the last issues in this issue.
1: Art by Dennis Cowan and Bill Ray. And this is really kind of your heart, as you started to say earlier, kind of a hard-boiled private investigator character. He appeared from 1968 to 1978. Didn't have a lot of appearances. No. Only in, in that time period, only about nine. And I, I looked it up. As far as I can tell, Dennis Cowan and Bill Ray didn't actually work on the character. No, they never – no. He's, he
0: did, he first appeared in Showcase and then basically didn't appear again for many years. He was a – they drafted him into the Cobra book, uh, the short-lived Cobra series. One of the rare times a villain had his own book. So he was always kind of like brought in as like a – you know, they needed a private eye guy. city so he worked in – he appeared in with Supergirl. They later brought him into Wonder Woman back when the Dodsons were doing that book like about five, six years ago. So – He's kind of just this, you know, the one thing I do like about him is they never gave him superpowers.
1: Hmm. He's
0: always just a detective guy, which I
1: liked. I mean, he, um, I gotta say, like, the art makes him look a little generic looking, so I didn't get too excited about this entry. I mean, I love his logo. He's got little, Mm -hmm. uh, like, targets, like shooting targets for the O's and Johnny and Double. And, like... The inking is really nice on this piece. Like if you look at his left hand, it's just balled into a fist, but I love those thick lines around the edges of his hands and just it looks jumps out. But his face was just kind of, eh, so.
0: Yeah, well said he's not a superhero, so he's got, you know, he has to have a generic look. It's an odd combination Dennis Cowan and Bill Ray. Dennis Cowan's work was very scratchy and rough and Bill Ray's was very smooth and cartoony. It's a strange. Wouldn't necessarily think it would work and you could argue whether it does or not. But that—that seems like an, an odd, an odd combo to pair up.
1: No, no. Who wrote his adventures? Do you know? I
0: don't. I forget. I mean, okay. he, he only appeared in one issue of Showcase. That number one, number seventy-eight. That's it. He got gotcha. a one. He got that one issue, and that was it.
1: Well, I figure whoever wrote his origin, uh, or whoever wrote the character before, must be someone who wrote his entry. Because check this out: in the last paragraph of history, it just gets really like—it's unusual for them to to write paragraphs like this. Always broke, but always looking on the bright side, Johnny Double remains a downbeat Don Quixote in a society that frowns on windmills, searching for that one last dragon to slay, a once-white knight in rusty armor, the poor man's Peter Pan. Like, it's a really nice, sort of cool, you know, uh, paragraph, but, like, it jumped out at me like, that's
0: a little weird. Very flowery flowery language.
1: So I figured maybe one of the guys who worked on this book, you know, was... Was the guy who written the character before? Just because he seemed to be really in tune with him. So uh, I just looked it up as you were talking.
0: The plotter it doesn't say the creator, but the plotter of Johnny Double was Marv Wolfman.
1: There we go. Oh,
0: scriptor he... Joe Gill and plotter Marv Wolfman. So I bet it's a it's a fair shot that it's Marv Wolfman wrote that.
1: Got to be. Gotta I mean, be. Yep. And it's just it's, it's very it's oddly specific too, like in her powers and weapons. Johnny drives a beat up fifty seven Thunderbird with a wedge head four twenty seven engine under the hood. His preferred <laughs> weapon is a thirty eight Magnum that is generally worn in a snap draw shoulder holster under his right arm. <laughs> yeah, it's now, very, very specific. The nerd in me goes, wait a minute, he's got a snap holster under his right arm, and yet he's holding the gun in his right hand? Wouldn't the holster be on the under the left arm for a right handed anyway, but oops. All right. All right, let's see anything else. Next! All right, next is a gorgeous uh, drawing by Wayne Boring and Jerry Ordway of Jor L. Um, so you get Wayne Wayne Boring, who's got a long, long pedigree with Superman. And then you get Jerry Above Reproach Ordway coming in here to just put a polish on it, or Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway. Or there's a, there's a, when we get to listener feedback, there's a whole bunch of suggestions for what we should be calling Jerry Ordway. But everyone agrees he's amazing. So, but this is a, this is a really nice shot of Jor in the foreground in his pre-crisis. You know, bright yellow and green suit, which as a child, I always thought was ridiculous looking. But as an adult, I've really come to like it. In his left hand, he's holding what looks like blueprints. In his right hand, he's got, I guess, which is like an iPad and his space-age <laughs> lunchbox, maybe? I don't know. It looks cool, whatever it's it the is.
0: Coffee Lara the coffee Laura packed him to go to the science council.
1: Exactly. And then you can see, like, a, a Kryptonian uh, architecture in the background like Skyline. You can see the, him and Laura with a uh, baby Clark, who's not really a baby. He looks like he's more like three years old. And then you see him like amongst a bunch of scientific gizmos. So it's a really, really nice piece. I like his logo too. Very kind of fun font. Now, um, I, a couple. I, I learned a lot reading this entry. I, don't, I guess I just don't know much about pre-crisis jor His father has the same name. Who knew? Uh, it did make me a little sad here. Under all his known, re- most of his known relatives are deceased, as you would imagine, because <laughs> uh, they either you know were on Krypton or they're old and dead. But he does have – it does have his his niece, Kara Zor-El, is listed as deceased, which jumps – even though everyone else is deceased in there, it makes you realize, oh, that's Supergirl, and this is post-Crisis Number 7. hmm Sad. So. Uh, The capital on Krypton is Kryptonopolis. Didn't know that. Thought that was interesting. Um, I like – here's one of the things that I'm surprised you haven't mentioned already, uh, as his weight – Probably about 190 pounds if he'd been on Earth. I know you love those weird, quirky things when they mess around. I do. So I had to put that out there for you. He, I like how he has a cousin named Cruel.
0: Very subtle. (laughs) Very very. I know
1: exactly. You know he had to be a bad guy. So. See what else. Uh, you know, we all know that Joel is responsible for the Phantom Zone, but apparently he also developed this thing where they shoot criminals into space in suspended animation and make them listen to hypno- hypno- hypnotic tapes to reform them. <laughs> how, how weird.
0: <laughs> is that what they do down in Florida, right? is that what you guys do?
1: Exactly. Yes, we do that. In fact, I'm in one right now. They gave me a microphone in the internet, though, so I can talk to you. So, and apparently the ship he built to carry baby Calel to Earth was apparently big enough for Laurel as well, but she refused to go. What guys, wait, What she, some guys will
0: do to get rid of their wives?
1: I'm sorry, she's not Laurel. I keep calling her Laurel. It's L- it's Lera. I'm sorry about that, right. Lara, But either way, wait, wait, oh nice, very nice. Spoken like a uh, <laughs> spoken like a true male souvenirs pig. Nice, nice. So
0: you tell, anyway, what you, the hell are you talking about?
1: Well, I was about to say a bunch of other things, and then I realized okay. that would be kind of out of line. So I just had to shift gears real quick. <laughs> what some guys wouldn't do to get rid of their wives. Really?
0: I'm Our just w- saying, Jor-Hell was clearly trying to send a message, and she didn't pick up on it. That's all.
1: Our one female listener just hung up. Thanks.
0: No, Amy's sticking with her. She's a fan.
1: She's a, she's a trooper, so. All right, um... Nice entry. Love it. And uh, it's kind of a, one of those where there's a lot of text, so Jorl only gets half a page. So
0: Yeah, it's a gorgeous piece. Uh, Ordway is the perfect guy to ink Wayne Boring. I mean, it was great that they got Wayne Boring back to do this, and uh, I'm, I'm sure they wanted to give it somewhat of a more modern polish, and Ordway is the perfect guy for that. So, really, beautiful piece.
1: Yeah, very pleased with it. Very pleased. Uh, next up is our first entry in the all-martial arts issue of Who's Who. <coughs> The Judo Master, I only mention that because as we go through, there's a whole bunch of martial arts characters in this issue. I don't know how they all landed in this particular issue, but there's a bunch. So, we get Judo Master, who was actually a Charlton character, but DC had purchased him. Now, um, he came about, I'm sorry, I have to mention his name, Rip Jagger.
0: (laughs) I got moves like Jagger.
1: I, I was going for Mick Jagger, but I looked it up to see, like, okay, wait a minute. Rip Jagger versus Mick Jagger—it just sounds too similar. So I, I, I was curious when the Stones kind of really came into popularity, and that was '64, '65, and this was, character was created in '65. So it's like—is that a coincidence? I don't know. I gotta wonder.
0: Well, the the creator is Frank McLaughlin, who drew the entry, and yep. he was—I uh, do. Mr. McLaughlin's still with us. I so i don't want to refer to him in the past tense, but he was uh, into martial arts. Like he, that was a passion of his. So I think that's kind of where part of where it came from.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Now, see, Frank McLaughlin, to me, I always knew him as an anchor.
0: Right. And but this is uh, the, one of his rare, you know, like he created this character and drew it. I interviewed him for the JLA Satellite blog. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. And of course, he inked yeah. Dick Dillon on JLA for like, you know, 15,000 years.
1: Exactly. that That's how I knew him, was that way. So I didn't i didn't realize, that until now, that he was a penciler, and I didn't realize he had an interview with him. I'm going to have to go out there and find that. It's on Aquaman, or no, on the JLA Satellite blog? JLA
0: Satellite, yes. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy with great stories.
1: Very cool. Well, it's an interesting character because he is a martial artist, but he's actually American. He's a blonde American guy, um, obviously into judo, and uh, his costume is sort of like represented the Japanese flag, which is surprising, again, given that he's an American. So, um, let's see. He had a sidekick named Tiger, and uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, he um, you know he was in the South Pacific and was trained as, as, as he yes he was trained by a guy named Sensei who, by the way, apparently all martial arts people trained under, but they're all different senseis but they all have the same name. So, <laughs> anyway. But, uh, that was a joke that went wrong. Anyway, uh, so, he learned judo and, uh, became an expert and was, uh, became a symbolic leader for the guerrilla forces that were assembled to rid the island of a bunch of nasty, nasty folks. So, the island, he was, the South Pacific island he was on. So, um, trying to see, yes, he served as part of the All-Star Squadron, and, um, you know he. They became renowned throughout the Pacific. You know during World War II. So I don't have a tremendous amount of passion for the character, but I don't really have any. Issue. You know I, I don't mind the character. I think he's fine. But um, I guess I, I became more of a fan of Judo Master when, in Justice Society of America, introduced a new legacy character, uh, a girl Judo Master, and I really liked that character.
0: So oh, I didn't even know they ever did that.
1: Yeah, that was under Jeff Johns tutelage. Uh-huh. So next up. Uh, Hmm. what could be a kapow moment uh, of the issue is a Justice League of America two-page spread. You've got in the background, the surprint is two colors this time. It's an American flag, and a big, huge American flag with all the Justice League of America members rushing at you. It's got the traditional satellite-era logo up there, that beautiful sort of uh, shield shape of Justice League of America. And, of course, you've got... um, Sort of, you got your your main Silver Age Justice League characters sort of in the center. Your Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Batman. I'm sorry, uh, Superman, Flash, Green Arrow, all those folks, and then kind of the, the the Justice League Detroit characters, which were the current JLA, are sort of on the on the outer edges. You get your Vixen and Vibe off on the side, and you get uh, Gypsy and Steel. So, um, art's by Luke McDonnell and Bill Ray. Now, I'm just going to be straight up honest here and brutal and i'm sorry but in an era where you've got george perez drawing crisis and new teen titans and he used to draw jla having luke mcdonald work on this book uh and 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 draw these characters you know your main characters it just it falls flat it really does
0: yeah i I think he's a fine artist but i don't think he was the right artist for this book um Yeah, I mean, this is an okay piece, uh, but but yeah, I don't, and I understand why they got him to do it because he was the current artist, but it it does feel like a bit like a missed opportunity there. Um, I I mean, some of the poses are kind of funny, and Adam is out of proportion, and Snappercar is there entirely, which sucks, and Black Canary kind of looks like a man, and uh, yeah, there's it's considering this is the preeminent team of this entire publishing house, um, this feels like a, 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 you know, like a swing and a miss.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they did do the fun thing where you get all the heads along the sides, which is, you know, J- JSA, I'm sorry, is famous for where you get all the little heads in the, on the far right and far left. But even those, I mean, uh, with the exception of maybe Hawkwoman and, and Phantom Stranger, they all are, are kind of a miss as well. So, I mean, e- even my beloved Firestorm. And, and cool Aquaman don't really save this piece, so... Um, I like
0: Hawkman and Hawkgirl are holding hands, though. That's nice.
1: Oh, that's sweet. I didn't notice that. And she's actually looking at him sort of adoringly.
0: Yeah, that's, that's nice, that's,
1: yeah. That's kind of cool. So, now, uh, why did I have down... Oh, so, some of the text is fun here, where they talk about the JLA's origin, of course, where they fight those uh, aliens, the Apple aliens. <laughs> I love it. They, it's those capital letter things they do. They're giving people titles. They talk about Martian Manhunter as... In capital letters, Manhunter from Mars. And then Aquaman's the Undersea Ace. And, <laughs> <laughs> so I love that bit. Now, at this point, the JLA's origin, uh, it was on the verge of changing just in post-crisis slightly, where they were going to remove Wonder Woman from the original batch of JLAs uh, and, re- and replace her with Black Canary. Uh, now, see, I don't mind that. I, I kind of like the post-crisis version uh, of it being... Really, kind of second-tier characters, of, you know, Green Lantern, Flash, Black Canary. Um, I'm trying to remember uh, who else: Aquaman, Martian Manhunter. That's I don't it. Know who I yeah, it was, it
0: was the it was the five with Black Canary subbing for Superman, Wonder Batman, Woman. and Wonder Woman.
1: Yeah. See, I I kind of liked that, yeah. but either way, so it's it's just interesting. Now, Snapper Carr, you know, is uh, in here. God. So why does that bother? I mean, he belongs here, doesn't he? I.
0: Don't know, I, I I mean, I guess technically, but I just felt like he was never he was an honorary member. That's not a member. He's an honorary member.
1: Well, then Phantom Stranger shouldn't be there either.
0: Phantom Stranger was asked to be a member of the team, and he while he did not answer, he later showed up in, in other issues saying, Well, I am a member, right? And nobody dissuaded him of it, so
1: Well Snapper Car played such an important role for so many years. He I deserves know. to be here. I
0: just I just hate Snapper Car.
1: Well it's it's like putting Danny Chase in a Titans picture.
0: You have to do I it. I know. I you know,
1: Nobody wants to. But I you can't. Have to. I can't
0: argue with its veracity, but I still hate it just because I think there he's such go. a doofus character.
1: <laughs> now they they acknowledge the new team in here. Um, you know, it's, just, it's they're really mean to Justice League Detroit. The DC <laughs> was. I mean, no wonder it's just like even. If, DC should have gotten behind the book and promoted it. You know, They should have been like, this is the new Justice League. You know, Sure, they're going to have to you know, prove their worth, but by golly, they're the Justice League. You know, they've, done, they've done a hell of a lot better job with the Justice League Detroit in flashbacks over the last 20 years than they did back then. I mean, they treated them like shit. Whoops, sorry. Um, Whoa. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to say that, but anyway. I mean, it goes on here. It lists them out, and it says whether or not this new Justice League will ever attain the legendary status of the original original remains to be seen as of this writing. You know, it could have been more like the new team's got a long road ahead of us, but ahead of them, but they're going to make it. You know, something. I don't know. I'm grumpy about that. So, okay. That's enough said about that. So, moving on. Justice League of America uh, headquarters, which is pretty darn cool. I do like how they use the classic Justice League of America logo from the 60s, which was pretty cool to fun to see again. And then uh, you get... It's a, it's a nicely drawn piece by Howard Bender and Roy Richardson. It's schematics or cutaways of on the left-hand side you get the uh, what was it called secret sanctuary? Is that what yeah, the secret name? sanctuary, yep. The mountain headquarters, the original mountain headquarters. And then the right-hand side you get the satellite. And uh, the satellite's kind of fun because it's actually just a picture of the satellite but then little circular I guess slice away pieces, maybe what you call it or maps. Like I don't detail, know. Detailed
0: details or something
1: like that. Yeah. And there's, they spent a lot of time on some crazy stuff that just cracked me up. Like, you know, in the mountain on the, on the second floor, there's a balcony. And I can't help but wonder, a balcony to what? You're in, you're in the middle of a mountain. What, what, you, what, you, what balcony are you on? You know, Are you outside the mountain when you're doing that? I don't know. Uh, you know, there's the water stall and the underground telephone line. They take the time to, to note all these things, which just cracked me up. There's a great souvenir room. There's a gymnasium. There's a pool, which has a water passage to Atlantic. I don't know why anyone would need that. We've got the elevator and the lab and this suspended staircase. Did that really need to be identified? (laughs) So, anyway, it's it's a fun drawing, and you get the hangar and grappler beams for I I Actually, I do like the hangar because you not only get the side shot of it, you get the above shot trying to show you how both the Bat Plane and the Invisible Plane can be wedged in there together. (laughs) Actually, oh, and this—that this, must be the aeroplane too. I guess so. Yeah,
0: just, it begins. To, Batman was chortling every time Green Arrow landed that thing. So.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the the satellite one is nice. Uh, I was, you know, as much as the satellite, I always thought it was kind of goofy. It's like. Something about the satellite itself I'm just attracted to. I just love it. You know, the satellite has you know meeting rooms and the museum, the computers. They actually have an archery range. They've got a food prep area. They've got, you know, sleeping quarters, which don't look all that private, by the way. So I'm kind of wondering, did Black Canary and Wonder Woman get the privacy they needed? But anyway, uh, amphibian life support. I guess that's Aquaman's room. Is that what that means?
0: I guess so. I don't remember them ever showing that <laughs> in the book.
1: And here you go, folks. If you're keeping count at home, take a drink. Martial arts area. There it is. Uh you know, docking hatch, all these fun things. And they talk about how um there's a twenty-four hour like people get assigned to twenty-four hour monitor duty. That's a knew, long that's a long shift. Yeah. I knew <laughs> monitor duty sucked, but I didn't realize it was twenty four hours. I mean, what are they, doctors? I mean, what the heck? <laughs> that's brutal. So and and then the Detroit bunker gets just like you know, it gets a paragraph, but it, there's no picture of it. There's nothing you can see of it, so uh, it gets the short shrift.
0: Well, by this point, they had moved back into the secret sanctuary. So,
1: I guess that's true. They had. That's right. They did move back in the secret sanctuary, the, the Justice League Detroit. But it made me sad because you know the bunker. When I came in to my era, my first Justice League era was they were in the bunker. You know, so uh,
0: my my uh, my two thoughts about this was one, I it makes me miss it makes me miss the satellite all over again. Because at this point, they had just blown it up. And in the uh, upper right, I love the microfilm library that the Justice League has the ability (laughs) to build this satellite, which is unlike anything anybody's ever seen, and yet they've never heard of a flash drive or even floppy disks. Everything is still on microfilm. I just enjoy that.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And next, of course, the microfilm library is stacked with microfiche machines. (laughs)
0: Looking through old newspapers, things like that.
1: Exactly, exactly. All right, uh, moving on. Next is, and you know, this, I would say, is the kapow moment of the issue. Two-page spread of the Justice Society of America by Jerry, beyond reproach, Orfei. <laughs> it is absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. And uh, you know, th- this is sort of the, it's a hodgepodge, really. Like, this team, as is depicted here never really existed. This is sort of like the best, this is like the highlights of the Justice Society. You know, because you get Batman, who's in there, but by this point, Batman was dead. You get Mr. Terrific, who also by this point, I believe, was dead.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: Uh, but you get Spangled Kid, who joined, um, though I guess he joined before Batman died, but after Batman was off the team. You know, you get Red Tornado in his original costume, who by this point wasn't wearing that costume, was part of the Justice League instead. You know, So you get, it's a nice mix and match you know, of characters. You get Black Canary, who by this point wasn't even in part of the Justice Society anymore. She was, you know, we really don't need to go down that path of her origin. It's just too confusing. But either way, she wasn't around either. Uh, I do like how Black Canary's wearing a mask, though. I always thought Black Canary looked cooler with the mask. Hmm. Disagree?
0: Uh, yeah, I like nope. it, actually. When I think about it. I like it.
1: Okay. Uh, also, like the Justice League entry, you get on the far left and far right sides, you get all the heads with their names. Here, it works. This is not a miss. This is definitely a huge, huge hit. Big time. Well, um,
0: they picked your way to do it, right then and there. They always say about movies, 90% of movies is casting. I would oh, okay. say, a, you know, 75% of a Who's Who listing is to get the right artist. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with that. The,
0: the minute somebody D.C. said, let's get Ordway to do the Justice Society, you're like, eh, we're done. We're done.
1: <laughs> we don't even need to try the rest of the issue. No, we,
0: we, we, we could just stat in the JLA stats and put in the bottom. Nobody will notice because everybody's looking at the nice artwork.
1: <laughs> Which they did not do. Instead, they've got a tremendous amount of history listed here. Uh, in fact, it makes the Justice League section uh, of text look a little small by comparison. And uh, they actually give sort of a blow-by-blow blow of membership changes, which is a little excessive, I felt like, when I was reading through it. I mean, it was, it was good for you if you're trying to learn the JSA history, like who was on what member. Like It tells you, so-and-so joined, so-and-so left, so-and-so joined, so-and-so left. It kind of reads that way, which is quite a bit. Um, and then it talks about World War II. It talks about the All-Star Squadron. It talks about the period of time when they were the Justice Battalion talks about you know when they disbanded in 1951 and then their return talks about the 1970 series which I mentioned earlier by the way that uh, in the In Stock Trades portion of the show when Robin first Spangled Kid Power Girl and Huntress joined the team and they talk about Red Tornado which is kind of cool now it does mention it gives you a little bit of crisis update here uh, it says that well I'm not going to find the exact part it's just in my notes how uh, both Robin and Huntress were lost in the crisis so it does mention that so sad which, if I remember correctly, I want to say – actually, I'm sorry. It doesn't mention Crisis specifically. It just says pe- people that uh, ha- have lost, which were uh, they've lost, were Batman, Black Canary, Mr. Terrific, Robin, and Huntress. Now, if I remember right, I want to say Huntress was one of those characters retroactively they killed. Like she didn't actually die in the No, you're
0: right. Yeah, yeah. She, she's one of the ones who, after the Earth's merge, goes to like find, goes to her apartment and finds it's not there anymore because she doesn't exist.
1: Right, and, and then, if I remember it, she doesn't even die in the comic. No. But then afterwards, they were kind of like, oh, yeah, uh, Huntress and Green Arrow from Earth 2, they died. They just, they just died. What
0: a way to treat your characters!
1: I know, I know. But, you know, one of the things that's sort of interesting is the person who's sort of dead, everyone's sort of fanning out, you know, in a traditional DC style, everyone's fanning out from the middle. But the one person who's coming dead at you is a star-spangled kid. So... Which I guess sort of makes sense because by then he was probably leader of the Infinity Inc., I think.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: So it sort of makes sense having but, – but really, he's more of a footnote in the Justice Society history. So uh, anyway. so Now, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell a story that's not necessarily about the JSA but is related. On our last episode of Who's Who, we talked about um, Jade. Jade. Uh, of of the Infinity Inc. She appeared in the last issue, both in Infinity Inc. and her own entry. And in the in the discussion, I mentioned she had uh, my terminology was a boob window,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: which uh, you know, we think is probably going to join the lexicon of comic book uh, verbiage like uh, Jose Luis, Luis Garcia, praise be his name, uh, Lopez. Whoops, I, I skipped that. But anyway, um, so you know, so I. There was a lot of debate actually online. There's a lot of back and forth. You know, not a boob window is a boob window, whatever. And, and I was using the example of, of of Power Girl. Power Girl has the boob window in her costume. So, um, so I just took it upon myself. I wrote Jerry Ordway. So I, you know, told him about the podcast and I said, you know, uh, asked him about that the green circle in her chest. Is it, ex- is it an exposed part of her bare <laughs> chest, or is it the fabric? So he was kind enough to write back. And he wrote back, it is indeed a hole in the costume. There you go, folks. Uh, with a green skinned character, we wanted to use it as a color. I'm sorry. Uh, with a green skin character, we wanted to use it as a costume color where we could. We had arguments with DC at the time over her white costume, as comic book logic at the time seemed to favor yellow. Macklin and I stuck to our guns and insisted on white. Her hair length was another fight. We wanted her petite and with short hair to keep her from looking slutty like most female characters, as well as to separate her from She-Hulk. With the hair, Roy, meaning Roy Thomas, won out. So I drew it progressively shorter with each issue. And he said, anyway, feel free to share it and be sure to attribute it to him. So there we have it, folks. Yes, it is, in fact, uh, Jade does have a hole in her costume, and that is her exposed skin. So,
0: yay, I win! (laughs) I just love the idea that when we finally reach out to this legendary artist, this is what we ask him about. <laughs> uh, well I, I, done.
1: I did not use the term boob window in my correspondence with Jerry. I thought that would be crass. But here, now that we're on our show, I feel like I can you know, let my hair down, per okay. se, and, and be myself. No, so. well, you don't want to look slutty. What's that?
0: You don't want to look slutty with your hair down.
1: Hey, oh, well, well played, sir. Nice callback. So, uh, Justice Society of America entry, an absolute hit. Uh, one of my favorites. I used to have a scan of this and used it as my wallpaper for the longest time on my desktop computer. Just love it. Love it, love it, love it. All right, next up, Justice Society headquarters, drawn by Todd McFarlane. You know, he did the Infinity, Inc. one in the last issue, their headquarters, and here he was given the task of doing the, the JSA's headquarters, and that's primarily because he was drawing the Infinity, Inc. book at the time. So uh, it is a, a nice, fairly nice architectural drawing of their brownstone, uh, and uh, the only thing that's a bit odd to me is there are two call-out boxes, if you will, or, or detail boxes that show the meeting room and the armory, but nothing else. I mean, there's like a million rooms in this building. Those are the only two rooms they chose to show, which was just strange to me because it's almost like, you know, you either go big or go home kind of thing. You either show a bunch of rooms or you don't show any. I don't know why they would just show two. So I thought that was a bit unusual. So
0: I guess they figured they only had the one page and they didn't want to give it two pages. So
1: Yeah, could be. Could be. So um, this is their headquarters, by the way, that was in Gotham. So. And I do like how it makes reference to they had a it had vast underground You know, secret labs and all that stuff, which is pretty cool. And the only thing that really uh, is – sort of like jumps out is at one point they actually refer to – and I'm trying to find it. Maybe I dreamt it. No, there it is. Yeah, they actually refer to them accidentally in the text as the JLA rather than JSA. Oops. Dun-dun. Damn it, Brenda Pope. They need Brenda Pope. (laughs) All right. Next up is – I'm sorry. This has got to be one of the more bizarre characters in Who's Who to me. Uh, J. Wilbur Wolfingham. This was a gimme for somebody. <laughs> you think so? Yes.
0: Well, he appeared a lot,
1: though. I looked him up.
0: A, have, a lot. In the 40s.
1: Okay. Well, that
0: – well, all right. And he did make a reappearance in a Superman comic like right before this. Yes. But, but nothing in between for like 35 years. So I think this was, I think this was clearly a, a sop to somebody.
1: Well, the interesting thing about this one is it's it's drawn by Bob Smith, who, as we go through this issue, you're going to hear his name a lot as an inker. I mean, he inked a ton of entries in this book, but here he's penciling. So um, this is a, um, I don't know, like is that almost like a W.C. Fields kind yeah, of character? Did, yeah, you get absolutely. that feeling?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. He's, he's a charlatan, he's a con man, he's a confidence man. He, you know, he, he'll sell people the deed to the Brooklyn Bridge, things like that. He was always trying to trick Golden Age Superman into certain circumstances, games of chance sort of thing, whatever. And uh, it, there's some fun quotes in here, uh, like Leo Rosten, you know, any man who hates dogs and babies can't be all that bad. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Which, uh, is old- like,
0: which is almost exactly a W.C. Fields quote, too.
1: I had to look it up. Leo Rostin is not W.C. Fields, because I was wondering if maybe that was his real name or something. But, yeah. And then it uh, says, see, Wol- Wolfingham holds to the philosophy laid down by a certain thespian of y- yesteryear who, long ha- who he long admired. You can't cheat an honest man. Never give a sucker an even break or wise up a chump. That's probably W.C. Fields. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, now this is the only time I know that Bob Smith ever touched the character. But, you know, he does a nice job. I mean, he is – it's a fun-looking entry. You know, he's, he's – the, the art on the hands a little odd. I mean, as you and I have talked about before, drawing hands is hard. And he's sort of shuffling a deck of cards in midair. But I love his face. I love the – in the background, you get a close-up. But even though he's not wearing a mask, you still get a close-up of his face in the background. You know, he, he looks, you know, a little Daddy Warbucks-ish, you know, with a big cigar. And then they give him a monocle and the, the, the I tie. Just, I just looked
0: him up. He appeared in Superman number 341 from 1979. Written by Len Wein. So, there you go.
1: There's your answer. All right. So, it's a fun character, and uh, any Superman fan, I'm sure, is happy to see him. But he's just, he's an odd little, odd little character to me. So, all right. Next up, you get Calaback by Jack Kirby and Greg Finkston. And this is just Kirby knocking it out of the park, as far as I'm concerned. I love this Calivac drawing. He looks ferocious. He's... Rah, you know, you got the beta club in the foreground. Uh, it just... It's... You get in the surprint. you get dark side. You get some sort of uh, hint of comic book panels with those lines behind him. And then the circular entry of Calivac fighting Orion. I, I just love this entry. I don't know. I, you and I have kind of gone different ways on Kirby stuff before. What do you think on this one?
0: Oh, well, it's good. No, it's, it's very... The, the pose is dynamic and... Uh, it's got a lot of movement to it when he's holding his giant, like, nasty marital aid of doom there and whatever, so... <laughs> <it's>, Beta club. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, I mean, sure, His the one boot is miscolored, but that's probably just because some color dropped out there. Um, but, uh, no, yeah, it's one of the better Kirby pieces,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And the entry, like, I read the entry, and I expected to, like, have all this great stuff to talk about. It's just really straightforward. So I was like, uh, well, uh Okay, yeah, that's Kalabak's history right there. Yeah, he's okay. the son of Darkseid. Yeah. yeah, okay. He fights people. He's Kalabak's cruel. Scourge of Apocalypse. Yeah, okay. So um, the, one of the things I did see that I thought was kind of interesting, it talked about how powerful he is. It says it took all the electricity, the power, all the electrical power of a city to stun him one time. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he gets written off too often as like kind of a joke. Because it's like, oh, like, oh, here comes Calabac, the idiot from the Super Friends, or you know, whenever they, whenever Darkseid wants to soften someone up, they send Calabac first, and then the heavy after him. So it's like Calabac doesn't get enough credit because <laughs> he I mean, he's what?
0: He was the Fredo of the of Apocalypse of the Darkseid family.
1: <laughs> Jeez, but yeah, uh, I mean, he's a cool, incredibly powerful character when he's first introduced, battling Orion and stuff. He was he was totally bad, bad, bad dude. So anyway. Great character. Um, not a lot to say other than it's a nice entry and the history is well put together. So, All right. Next up is Calista uh, by Todd Smith of the Omega Men.
0: Mm. <laughs> um, a very nice drawing. Did not require a whole page. Again, the Omega Men all got on their own pages. It's just something they decided. But I don't think she needed a whole page.
1: Agreed. Now, she is a sexy redhead. I'll give her that head. I'll give her that. Jinta
0: head, really yeah uh,
1: true, and Todd Smith was drawing Omega Men at the time, so he was the right one. Um, there's, a, there seems to be. and You've read the comic. Is there a lot of like sexual tension surrounding this character? Uh,
0: well, I mean,
1: yeah, tension. I don't know. I mean, they. Well, I mean, sexual uh, innuendo around her because um, I, I kind of got that not feeling.
0: Innuendo, but I mean, they showed that her and Primus were sleeping together, and they were fairly. Demonstrative about that, as opposed to most comic books at the time, which everybody was very chaste. So, yeah. other than uh, uh, other than Dick Grayson and Starfire, the her and Primus were like the only ones, like you know, sort of getting it on regularly,
1: knocking boots. So, I guess that's Primus in the background. I thought that might be Ultra because that's what it looked like to me. But yeah, that's Primus because um, she has this hex power that she uses to uh, create fear in people. You basically, she, you know, it's a um, Anyway, it's a hex part of great Fear. But something happened where she could then create things that opponents desire the most. And she's from a place called Euphorix. And I was just like, it just sounds like the most dirtiest planet DC ever had. Like, I totally <laughs> want to go to Euphorix and, you know, hang out with Starfire and Callista, you know, or whatever. But... That's where the
0: Enterprise uh, had shore leave, I believe.
1: Exactly, and you had to take the Horta with you. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, anyway, uh, another Omega Man character. Not worth a page, but, you know, there we go. Nice Moving drawing,
0: on. though. Nice drawing.
1: Yeah, it, I'm sorry. It is a very nice drawing by by Todd Smith. She she looks a little strange, uh, but I think she's supposed to look a little alien esque. She's beautiful, but in you know a slightly alien way, like kind of funky eyebrows and sort of smooth features and stuff. Well, the like that. no pupils thing. Yeah, that's a little weird too. So she wears it better than Batman, though. I'll Give her that. So next up is Commandy by Jack Kirby and Greg Thiexton. Uh Another really nice Kirby piece. I enjoy this one. It's um. It feels a little claustrophobic, maybe, or a little crammed in, like maybe he was expecting to have more room for this one, or maybe it's, I don't know, but it feels a little jammed together, but uh, it's a nice piece. You get Commandy in the foreground, in the background you get, um, oh god, what's that talking doctor's name? I forget. Dr. Canis, you know, with his test tubes, and Commandy looking out in the background like, oh, he'd make it with the science. You know, you get Commandy with his grandfather, you get... Commandy just sort of looking all sullen around a rock. Then you get him leading his you know animal forces into battle. So I mean, it's a it's a nice piece.
0: Yeah, it's a, uh, the background's great, but it's a boring pose. I think it's a bo- C- Commandy was one of Kirby's most insane ideas, and in terms of <laughs> like how many different concepts he jammed into one book at the time, and uh, this pose doesn't really convey that terribly much. Um, as as uh, As we all know, uh, you know, we all read recently. uh, Paul Pope had an idea for a Commandy book that he wanted to do for DC, but of course, uh, DC isn't interested in publishing comics that don't appeal to 45-year-olds. So, Commandy will just remain uh, sort of unused in the DC universe for now.
1: Hmm, which is a shame. Uh, I do like to use his logo from the comic, which is more than just Commandy. It's Commandy, the last boy on Earth. So um, now I did a little research on this because you can't help but read this and go, "This is totally Planet of the Planet of the Apes." Yes, yes. And in fact, it was. Carmen Infantino tried to get the rights to Planet of the Apes, and it wasn't successful. So basically, they went to Jack and said, "Can you do a Planet of the Apes like comic?" So uh, when you say he, you know, uh, some of this was you know inspired by Jack, but a lot of it came from Planet of the Apes. A lot of it must have come from Carmen Infantino as well. Now, interestingly enough, they shoehorned in also that Omac and Commandy were related. I never knew this until I was reading these entries. I, I just never picked up on that because he wasn't this wasn't in the first 50 issues of Commandy. Um, or was it yeah, it was, I think it was Commandy number 50 where it was finally revealed that Commandy's grandfather was actually Omac, which was tied into the final issue or two of Omac as well. So it's kind of they threaded those two together in sort of a retcon way.
0: If you're playing uh, Who's Who Bingo, which is a game that I just made up, uh, this entry really is going to gain you a lot of points, because in, in a single entry, it mentions OMAC, Tommy Tomorrow, and Mr. Talkie Tawny. <laughs> you cannot beat how wide-ranging of the DC Universe that is.
1: I just heard uh, Little Russell Burbage go, bingo! So. <laughs> yes, Tommy Tomorrow, they reveal here, and this is another crisis on Infinite Earth affecting you, this is uh, the says, as a result of the crisis on Infinite Earth, which is not in uppercase, interesting, uh, Commandy's timeline is no longer one of Earth's alternate futures. The boy in Earth's future who would otherwise be known as Commandy will instead grow up to be space adventurer Tommy tomorrow. <laughs> uh,
0: I also like in the other paragraph, it says, uh, second column, there he raised his grandson Commandy, named after the bunker itself, Commandy, using a microfilm library to teach him about past human civilization. I can only assume the microfilm library came from the wrecked JLA satellite.
1: Yes, when it crashed to Earth. That's exactly right. Thank God it stuck around. <laughs> you've got to preserve the important things. So, uh, Next up, you've got uh, Kana, Secret Shadow Warrior. I, like He also gets his little tag box underneath his name, although he didn't have a series of his own. So uh, great. I love his logo. Lots of fun. And this is, uh, this is you know, by the way, for those of you keeping score at home, take a drink. Another martial arts character. This is drawn by Joe Brozowski and Bob Smith, who, as far as I knew, again, there's Bob Smith, uh, who hadn't worked on the characters, as, as, in, per my research. But you know, Bob, uh, I'm sorry, Joe Brozowski was doing Firestorm, and is just a great, or was about to do Firestorm. Sorry, and a great artist. So it was nice, nice, nice picture. I mean, you got him, you've got K- Kana with his mask on, his ninja mask on. He's holding up his katana. And, you know, in the background, you get a close-up of his face and him kicking some serious people's butt and dealing with some soldiers. So, And, of course, you get a shuriken. So, because, you know, you got to have that. Because it's the 80s. Everyone loves a ninja in the 80s. So, in fact, this character was created in 1981. And uh, so here is only a few years later. Now, he was in GI combat. And uh, he worked for the OSS, which, <laughs> okay, this is my mistake, but every time I see OSS in comics... I mistakenly see OSI. And you know who the OSI is? No. That's who the Bionic Man worked for. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that always goes through my mind. I'm like, oh, Connor reported to Oscar? Cool. Kana's laser eye came in
0: handy in many missions.
1: <laughs> oh, wow, dude. There's a throwback to uh, the, the, re- was that the return of the Bionic Man where his son got the laser eye. I'm I have impressed. no
0: idea. I just know he had the
1: laser eye. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, so uh, good stuff. Um, it's fun. You know, again, more martial arts. Anything? No, this is one of these guys
0: I was like, I've never heard of this guy. I mean, I like the drawing, but it's, it didn't really do anything for me beyond that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the gist of it was, he, uh, he ended up helping the Allies, is what it was. So, yeah, that's uh, always interesting when they show that kind of stuff. And I guess he was during, was he during World War II? Yes, World War II. Yes, World War II. Okay. All right. Next up. The Bottled City of Candor, or here just listed as Candor, not necessarily Bottled City, but obviously it is, because in the foreground you've got the Bottled City of Candor with little spaceships flying around inside, which are cute. And then in the background you've got a serpent of Superman, Brainiac, his ship shrinking the city, Nightwing and Flamebird, some weird flying creature, and some dude, bald dude with a headband. So, art by Howard Bender and Bob Smith. Now, Howard Bender was well-known for doing this uh, a lot of the Superman and, I want to say, Superboy books. So, he was, you know, obviously a good choice for this. Um, Kandor looks great. The surprint, not too impressed with. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, Superman just looks <laughs> off. Superman looks off to me, okay. you know? I like Brainiac's face because he looks sinister. But, anyway, a lot of history here. I mean, more than half a page on Candor. Like, oh, my gosh, really exhaustive. And having jor earlier in the issue, you know, I learned a lot. You know, like, Kandor actually was the original capital of, of Metropolis until it got shrunk. So then you get Kryptonopolis became the capital, which I'm pretty sure is a retcon somewhere in there. But I always, I'm always happy, though, when I see references to Nightwing and Flamebird. I can't explain it. I have this weird, uh, unnatural love for those characters, and it came solely from who's who. So uh, when we get to them, I'm going to have a field day. And um, there's two Candors. There's the real Candor, which actually got returned to normal size. And then Superman built a replica of Candor, <laughs> which then became inhabited by tiny little aliens. Uh, he gets into more trouble. <laughs> That's just some wacky Silver Age nonsense there. So. One anyway. Of the,
0: one of the things that threw me off I, I was never big on A, Superman comics in general, and then B, the minutiae of the Superman world. But like one of the things that bothered me about Candor, and you can see it in this drawing, is the proportions. Look at the city inside that bottle, and then you see the ship that is flying around. I mean, like that—that that ship is a good, like maybe five percent of the entire bottle there. So that's like, like aircraft carrier size. Yeah, those people would get really bored of that bottle super fast. I mean, that—that <laughs> that, is—I mean, that is like living on the equivalent of of like a one mile island. And and never getting to leave there. I mean, they used to. I, I think different artists would draw Candor different sizes. Like you know, well, it was a lot smaller inside the bottle, so there was a lot more room there. It looks like you could see the entire thing in about fifteen minutes. And you're like, well, I've seen Candor, that's it.
1: Well, it's like the what was it, the south end of Manhattan Island, the um, the business area, right. where the World Trade Center was. It's like that area all by itself. That's right,
0: it. Right. So and they just get anyway. to stare out the glass at the Fortress of Solitude.
1: We're not being terribly kind to the Superman characters this episode. Sorry guys. So uh next up is Kanjar Roe by Murphy Anderson. And the 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 main character picture of Kanjar Ro is fine, I suppose. I mean he looks like Kanjar Roe did in, in the sixties, that's fine. Ta-da but, <laughs> Yes it's totally doing a ta da moment. But what really jumps out at me is in the surprint. there's this great profile shot. It's great. That. His, bu- his bug face really comes across there. Yeah, and his nose and stuff. I mean, yeah. like, that shows you that, yes, he's an alien and he doesn't look like a normal dude. I mean, it's a, it's really good. I yeah. really,
0: really like it. I wish that the, the main drawing, he had, had that profile in the main drawing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and that goes again to where, you know, in, in Who's Who, you get the... The full body shot, and then you get a close-up of the face. So, uh, Now, Murphy Anderson, I was thinking, you know, why didn't... No, I, his, I didn't know if Mike Sadowski was even around at this point. I didn't think about the fact that he hadn't done any who's who at this point. He was. Uh, he
0: absolutely was.
1: Okay. Now, maybe maybe he has done a who's who, and I've forgotten. But either way, I thought it was kind of odd to use Murphy Anderson until I went back and read, oh, he drew a lot of the Justice League covers back then. Yes, he did. So he, he also drew the first appearance cover of uh, King Joe so And I didn't realize until I read this that the, the battles between Ran and Thanagar goes far back to here, or actually even earlier, because uh, it's referenced in here how Kanjar Roe would manipulate things, so there would be battles between Rand and Thanagar. Actually, I guess I learned some of that in a previous episode where we did Hyathus but I hate that character so much I didn't really pay much attention to her entry. So, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, anything further?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: Okay. I mean, it's a classic major JLA villain, which a lot of people have tried to do justice by in recent years and make him a little more palatable, if you will. So, all right, folks, next up, Karate Kid, again, martial arts issue. Take a drink. Uh, Art by Steve Lytle and Larry Malstead. Really nice
0: drawing. Wonderful drawing.
1: Yes. Really nice issue. Really, really nice issue. I'm not issue. I mean, uh, drawing. You Get Karate Kid in the foreground. He's about to uh, pace someone. It looks like, and uh, in the Serpent, you get the cool dragon motif, you get his sensei, you get him fighting a robot, you get him with, uh, I assume it's Projecta. Pro- pro- Damn, I can't say her name.
0: Projectra.
1: Projectra. It's Projectra. There it is, Projectra, of Orando, which is just Orlando without an L. Apparently it's, you know it's disney world without the l but so um really nice thing uh and i forgot until i was doing research on his entry he had his own comic in the he 1970s did.
0: everybody was kung fu fighting back then
1: he was yes they were and he was thrust actually to modern day which was perfect so uh but yeah it's just stunning entry uh his name is val armore you know great legion character and um really just very cold now um Karate Kid sacrificed his life in Legion of Superheroes, so you know it's it's another one of your deceased legionnaires. I do dig the logo; looks very you know uh, what Americans interpreted Oriental writing to look like (laughs) in the seventies. So cool stuff. I like this one a lot. Yeah. Now, uh, we've got something to share here, right? Yeah, we
0: do. Well, I guess we could, we could do it now or we could do it when we get the feedback, but let's do it now since it relates to Karate Kid. Uh, Little Russell Burbage uh, sent a message on Facebook to Steve Lytle, who is very active on Facebook, and he mentioned uh, specifically the Karate Kid listing. And this is what he wrote. Steve, I don't know if you're familiar with this podcast or not, but uh, Rob and Shag talk about the uh, old Who's Who series in the semi-regular podcast. In the recent episode, the one before this, I think, they talk about the size of the art, how sometimes it's the whole page, and sometimes it's horizontal or vertical. The next issue features your Great Karate Kid illustration, which is almost the full page. Then you have a two-pager for the Legion of Supervillains, and then later, you have a very small space for Sensor Girl. Do you have any comments you can make to them about how the art size was decided, or how you ended up with some Legionaries but not all of them, just curious? And here's Steve's response. You might want to ask editor Lane Ween about some of the technical questions. I was given the impression that space was entirely dependent on how much room the text took up. Groups tended to take up two pages if the number of members could not be shown clearly in a single-page illustration. Remember, the purpose of the art was supposed to be to show the details of the character's appearance, so future artists might use it as reference. The criteria for choosing artists was complicated. They considered these details. 1. Creator of the character. 2. Current artist for the series. 3. Drawing from a pool of talent that had not been overly utilized. Most of the time I was asked to draw characters whose costumes I had designed, like Polar Boy, Timberwolf, Block, or characters I had they had a hand in creating, like Sensor Girl and Telus. Notable exceptions. I was peeved the two characters I had created were drawn by someone else, Quizlet and MIG Karate Kid Two.
1: How cool is that. Our thanks to Little Russell Burbage for reaching out to Steve and to get that information about how the criteria for choosing artists go I mean, it is sort of matches with what we sort of guessed as we've gone through. And like you said, just to reiterate, it was creator of the character, current artist for the series, and then drawing out the a ta- pool of talent that hadn't been overly utilized. So really neat information, and uh, that was really cool, Steve, to be forthcoming about that. You know,
0: Yeah, it's great. This is, this is, a, this is a, one of his best pieces. He did a lot of really nice work on the series, but this is, might be my favorite one of his that he did.
1: Really? Oh, you know, there's some nice shadow effects going on in on this yes. one too. Yeah,
0: really very nice. And the costume's great. I like that I like that the shirt and the pants are just solid black. I've always been a big fan of that sort of abstracty look. There's no shading or, or musculature. It's just flat black. I, I sort of enjoy that.
1: You know, this is actually a you know, way, way ahead of his time because short sleeves on a character <laughs> were out. Just totally not used for a long time. I mean gosh, I mean Twenty, thirty years, people weren't using short sleeves. And it wasn't until probably about five, six years ago that short sleeves on un- characters started to make a comeback. I remember Dale Eaglesham, in fact, like in interviews was saying, I'm bringing short sleeves back. You know, his characters in like, the Fantastic Four were wearing short sleeves for a while. And, you know, it just kind of became a thing. And here at Karate Kid, it just really works. You get to see his muscles. He's got the cool leather bracers. He's got the, you know, the pop collar. He just, he looks really sharp. Yeah, and
0: the pose is great. As you say, he looks like he's... He's just about to punch somebody off panel.
1: Yeah. So really cool. Good stuff. Love it. And, um, all, you know, God, what, what a cool, cool, you know, series of things. We, you know, we've heard from Brenda Pope this episode. We've heard from Jerry, uh, Jerry uh, Erardway. We've heard from Steve Lytle. Well, very cool. This is an He's all-star up. episode. I tell you. I tell you. So, all right. Uh, next up. Uh, again, martial art. Uh, th- this time we're covering katana. So those of you again keeping track at home, martial arts. Take a drink. Uh, this time, art by Jim Aparo, who of was course. drawing, of course, Batman and the Outsiders at the time. Not a lot. It, just like all the Outsiders, very little text. I guess Mike W. Barr just wanted to keep showcase the art, maybe, and keep the text light, because every single Outsider we've covered, you know, with the exception of Batman, obviously, uh, has had very little text. She's probably got the
0: most of all of them. Geoforce and Halo had almost nothing. She's actually right. got a lot compared to them.
1: And this is uh, this is another one of those by Aparo that came off really nice. Um, you know, we've said, you know, as we've acknowledged many times, at this point in his life, his eyesight was, was troubling him. Um, he was having a harder time producing work, but... And some of the some of his pieces show it, but this one just stellar, really nice. You've got uh, her in the foreground holding her two swords. You've got her in her background with her bookstore. She's, you know, paying loving attention to her sword, and then she's fighting. Um, I guess that's a, probably a, an outsider's character. I'm not really sure. It looks like Silver Samurai with dumb chuck arms. I'm not really sure who that is.
0: But. <laughs> yeah, he is an outsider's guy. I forget the name of him, but he is.
1: Gotcha. So it's really nice. And then they talk about the 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 sword, the Soul Taker. Which, if I remember correctly, her husband uh, wasn't his soul in the sword.
0: Yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah. So uh, let's see. I, I, there was more. I think there's a bad guy in there too, if I remember right. But anyway, um, good stuff was tied in with the yakuza, and um, just it was really fun. Really, really fun entry. Really like it. Nice logo so, too. Yeah, it's a great looking logo. In fact, I don't know that this may be the first time she got a logo. I'm Not sure.
0: Yeah, so. quite possibly.
1: Now she was created for the Outsiders, right? Yes. Because she seems like the kind of character that would have appeared in, like, a first-issue special or something, you know?
0: Mm, yeah, possible. I mean, obviously, DC f- thought she was pretty good because she's back now in the New 52.
1: Hey, well, there. Well, there's a real – well, blah, blah, blah I, If I'll finish any one of those sentences. Yeah, really. Um, there's that cartoon, Beware the Batman, and she's a major that's player That's right. In that.
0: That's right. So
1: right. – which I'm pretty sure is why she has her own comic right now, actually. Rather than her being a breakout character of the New 52, uh, it was more like she's going to be in the cartoon. Let's give her a comic, mm. so. Anyway. All right, next up is uh, a character by all rights looks absolutely ridiculous, but <laughs> in the hands of Paris Collins and Eduardo Barreto, he looks slightly
0: less ridiculous.
1: Well, he he looks slightly res- less ridiculous, but it's an awesome drawing of the key. <laughs> Now, why he never had a partner called the Lock, I don't understand. But anyway, yes, the key, Justice League of America villain, going all the way back to JLA number 41. Uh, it's a beautiful drawing. The key, the, the forefront picture, the one in full color, actually has him pushed off to the left-hand side, which is very unusual. And then there's this great little border of, uh, like, keyhole kind of lock like where you put the key in the keyhole kind of drawing. And then there's enormous, I mean, the biggest thing on the page is a close-up of his face. And he has one of the most ridiculous headgears <laughs> in the DC universe, which is literally like his face is coming through a lock, uh, like a keyhole lock, a very traditional old keyhole lock, which looks ridiculous. But the way Paris Collins draws it, it's almost Kirby-esque. It looks so cool. You get his you know, gnarly argh, face with his big pointy nose, and you've got a million Kirby speed lines, or maybe they're Japanese speed lines, I'm not sure. And then you get the key who, whose primary weapon is, well, honestly, it's a giant key. Uh, it looks like an old kind of skeleton key. It looks stupid. But it's got him blasting Hawkman in the background, and Martian Manhunter's kind of getting out of the way. And it just looks really cool. I mean, Paris Collins and Edward Barreto took what could have been a, a terrible entry and just brought it home.
0: You know, uh, DC uh, licensed their characters for a series of ads from Master Lock. I can't believe that the key didn't get tapped to do one of those ads.
1: I can't tell if that was sarcasm or not. I, uh, it's
0: not sarcasm. They really did. There's a whole. There was a line. Oh, I know. I know they did. I
1: just. Right. Do you really think he would have been worthwhile? That's sort of like Hawkman doing Baby Ruth. What the heck?
0: No, no, because <laughs> no, there's no connection to Hawkman and Baby Ruth. But the key Ruth. in Master Lock, it's right, right there. And there.
1: But would you really want to put this character out there for people to see him? He looks so crazy. Yes, I
0: would. We might be talking about the third or fourth key live-action movie at this point had they done that.
1: (laughs) Well, I I did like the way they revamped him for, uh, I guess it was Grant Morrison's run probably on Justice League. I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was. They, they they made him pretty pretty darn cool and creepy. They got rid of the headgear, thank goodness. Uh. He, was <laughs> the,
0: he was the star of the man who murdered Santa Claus from Justice League number one ten, which is one of my all time favorite JLA stories. And then they brought him back in JLA number one ninety one, uh, where uh, he uh, was stealing the power. He, t- he grabbed Amazo, and they started stealing some of the Justice League powers. So he was he was the center point in. Uh, two, actually three, now I'm remembering a third one, number, number 150 Some of the greatest JLA stories, though. As ridiculous as he is as a character, he was a great JLA foil.
1: I mean, honestly, if they just took the headgear off him, <laughs> I, he'd be fine. I mean, the, carrying the giant skeleton key sort of thing around is actually a fine gimmick. There's nothing wrong with these. It. It's certainly not any sillier than any Flash rogues. But at the headgear, it's just like, oh, man, really? Really? But anyway, so... Um, Interesting, you know, interesting guy and uh there's there's a lot in here about how he was sick and dying. So it was kind of like ee.
0: yeah, and Zatanna helped him uh helped him be rescued from that.
1: Yeah, so it's kinda cool. Right. So again, awesome drawing. Incredible drawing. One of my favorites in the book, actually. So all right, next up is um uh less than impressive drawing. well no, I'm being too harsh. It's the Cahoons, uh which were um Legion villains—they're—they're they're an alien species, really. I, the front character is—is is my problem, really. The front character is a particular cahoon whose name is Carlac, if I'm saying this right. And I don't like him, I should say, because uh, the background—the surprint's actually pretty cool, very uh, Kirby-like. It's it's drawn by Dan Jurgens and Greg Theakston, which is probably why you get the Kirby influence. But it's the front character just—I I, doesn't work for me. The background guys do. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I just find this character completely ridiculous looking. Just, yes, he looks like he's yeah. He's got no pants on. He's got no shirt on. But he's got the yeah. This was but, this was one of those pages I just sort of skipped over at the time.
1: He's got cyborgy boots though, and a cyborgy belt, and, and domino, and like a weird headgear. You know, what he reminds me of it was um oh gosh, what was that? Uh, 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 Michael Ironside was in a sci-fi movie. I want to say he was like cyborg or cybernetic or something, and it just this kind of reminds me of that. So anyway, um, I personally, for my my favorite era of the Cahoons is the way they looked in Invasion. So the Invasion miniseries, they look pretty awesome. In yeah, that, let's so. just move, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next up is. Kid Devil. See,
0: I would think you would want to move on because
1: I, I forgot what was next. Right. <laughs> Kid Devil from Blue Devil, uh, drawn by Alan Cooperberg and Bob. There's Bob Smith again. Take a drink. And uh, this Alan Cooperberg was drawing Blue Devil by this point. Even though Paris Collins is probably best known for the character, uh, Alan Cooperberg was drawing the entire interiors uh, towards the later end of that run. And this is the character who would eventually go on to be Red Devil in Jeff uh, Johns Teen Titans. So now it's interesting here. His name's Edward Gopher Bloomberg. He was a kid who was, uh, worked on the movie set uh, his, that his aunt ran and he would run around and he was a go, quote unquote gopher, you know, like, go for this, go for that. And he totally hero worshiped Dan Cassidy and Blue Devil to the point where he built his own Blue Devil costume. And if you read the powers and weapons, I mean, he pretty much, they make him sound exactly as powerful as Blue Devil. I mean, he's got the strength of 10 men. He's got, or at least a factor of 10. He can leap distances. He's got all the same powers as Blue Devil. But really, he was not quite on Blue Devil's level. And Blue Devil was, you know, the superstar. And this guy was like a C-lister at best. You know, it, it, Blue Devil's an A-star. This guy's a C. Anyway, they do refer to him as apprentice throughout this, not a sidekick. And one of the cute things they did, there was an issue where he actually was pen pals, with Robin. And, uh, <laughs> isn't that adorable? That is and cute. this was the, this is the Jason Todd Robin. And they actually have them in the background. They've They've beaten up a bad guy, and they're shaking hands over the bad guy, him and Robin. It's cute. <laughs> In the surprint you get a close up of gopher's face you get uh, a close up of <laughs> they uh they they worked at the Werner Brothers studio it was totally a parody on Warner Brothers so you can see the v w water tower in the background and his aunt and all these people and them fighting and then later on they're fighting uh, vanquisher so it's it's a it's a really if you're a blue devil fan it's a great piece and it's a great surprint and it's really well done and uh makes me happy so there you go. Okay, next up is Kid Eternity by Murphy Anderson. Now, uh, as far as I know, this is the only work Murphy Anderson did on the character, but he's very appropriate for the character, given that this is part of the Shazam family and, you know, in the Fawcett books. Now, if you don't know Kid Eternity, he's actually the brother of Freddie Freeman, who is Captain Marvel Jr., and uh, it's kind of a a heaven-can-wait sort of scenario. He died, went to heaven, and they're like, whoops, red tape mix-up, sorry, you're not supposed to be dead. And so he was returned to Earth with a series of powers where he could call upon people from the past who were dead to help in any given situation. Like he'd call upon Abe Lincoln or whatever. And yet uh, he, he had this guy who traveled with him, Mr. Keeper. Uh, I think it was what his name. was oh, Not Trapper Keeper, was it? Trapper Keeper would have been awesome if that was really his name. But I'm pretty sure it's just Mr. Keeper. Anyway, um, and it, it was, it, I mean, there's a lot of history here because he was around for a long time. And he ran... Um, Actually, I don't know if he had his own series or just appeared in the Captain Marvel-related comics.
0: I believe Mm -hmm. he did have his own book as well. I thought he did.
1: Okay. And um, (laughs) so years later, they did a Vertigo story with him by Grant Morrison that I actually really like. The first was the miniseries where they reveal he's actually an agent of chaos and doesn't even know it as in like uh, Order and Chaos. And um, Mr. Keeper was actually like a – a chaos creature, and it was really kind of trippy. And um, the, now the ongoing series was terrible, but the mini series was really nice. Anyway, so at one point they actually have uh, he, he calls upon people that have died. He called upon Plastic Man and Blackhawk, which actually kind of had everyone scratching their heads. It was like those guys aren't dead. What, huh? And so they, they actually—it's one of those moments where. Something in their history that doesn't make sense. So they make they take the time to talk about it. Who's who, which always cracks me up when they you know they, they focus in on one little minutiae, uh, a continuity that doesn't make sense, and they point it out in here. I love that kind of stuff. So, any thoughts?
0: Uh, w- the drawing is okay. Um, I love the name. It's one of the greatest names for any character ever. Just you could use it for so many things. Like it would be a, a great name for a band. Kid attorney. Oh yeah, just, yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's so evocative and kind of goofy, but. Maybe a little weird. Uh, it's great. Yeah, they should bring cool. him back. I think this is a neat, a neat concept, and they could bring him back and uh, and give him his own series again, or, or just at least bring him back into the universe. He would he would be great in Justice League Dark.
1: Yes, he would. Well, you know, he was part of um, Teen Titans not too long ago. He joined, I don't remember whether it was the Jeff Johns era, the Sean, Sean McKeever, is that who? No, it wasn't Sean McKeever. Was it Sean McKeever? Or am I getting my names mixed up?
0: I think you're getting your names mixed up.
1: Or is that Ted, Mc- Ted McKeever? Ted McKeever's the weird. Sean McKeever yeah. is the other guy. Yeah, anyway. Definitely not Ted McKeever. Yeah, it was, Sean, it was I'm pretty sure it was Sean McKeever. Anyway, um, he was a member of the team in a non-Vertigo sort of way. So, okay. anyway, next up is Kid Flash by George Perez. Uh, kind of an odd logo. That's got to be either just done, hashed out for this, or maybe something from the '60s because it's very plain. But anyway, so uh, really nice George Perez drawing. It starts off where in the distance you can see the original Kid Flash costume, which is basically the same as Barry Allen's costume, zipping around to the future where he's wearing his new Teen Titans costume. However, I'm normally not critical of George, but I will say he his face looks a little yeah, it looks like it looks sickly. like he did in
0: Crisis when he was yeah. running to you know like you know, we're running very frenetically and worried about Barry and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: He looks sickly. Yeah. But the, in the serpent, you know, you got totally gorgeous, you know, the, the chemical splashing on Wally, which it almost uh, black and white almost doesn't do it justice. Cause it, there's so much going on in that little tiny drawing. You really got to look at her. Maybe if it was bigger. It would work better, but just where the chemicals are splashing on Wally, which looks great. You get a nice close up of his face and the flash costume coming out of the ring and his parents. It's really nice. It's a nice picture. So, um, Thought it was interesting that his par- at least at this point his parents were never named. I thought I found that odd. I was like, wow. I mean, he'd been around for a long time. His parents would show up a lot in New Teen Titans, but they never were named. How hmm. strange. Mm-hmm. So now they do talk about how um, this is as we said right at the end of Crisis, and he says he returned to action during Crisis because he had been losing his powers. And maybe my memory's faulty. I thought his powers were killing him.
0: Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. So he's
1: losing his powers. I don't know. Now, the one thing that is really skipped, which I found kind of surprising, was they don't talk about how Raven uh, emotionally manipulated him throughout the Titans' history. uh, Because she made him fall in love, and then he was still with the Titans, and he didn't know whether it was because he wanted to or because he thought he loved Raven and stuff like that. Now, there's kind of a neat thing where they talk about how he had... um, he made his hair appear brown. It says, for a time, Wally sprayed his hair brown before appearing as Kid Flash in order to help conceal his secret identity. He used that dust that Johnny Thunder used. Exactly. Yeah, the same subscription service. And it makes me wonder, was that legitimately something in the comic, or did they sort of retcon that in later? Because in, I want to say in the cartoon, I think he had brown hair, didn't he? Uh,
0: you're... I
1: don't
0: the remember. Yes, he did. Yeah, show. okay. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, so, uh, nice entry. Um, always glad to see George Perez in the pages of Who's Who. So, Absolutely. Up next, Killer Frost, Firestorm villain, uh, drawn by Al Milgram, the creator of the character, or at least the artistic creator of the character. Um, I will say that this is, in my opinion, this is sort of a situation of, like, Jack Kirby's demon image, where, like... He had drawn the demon a few issues in Who's Who ago, where I felt like Jack Kirby created a great idea in the demon. He created kind of an interesting look, but other artists came along l- later and improved upon it. Uh-huh. And I would I would say that's sort of the same situation here with Killer Frost. It's it's not the greatest drawing of her. Um, in fact, the cover drawing by Paris Collins is better actually, and. She looks like she did in you know the f- third issue, but I think later artists such as Paris Collins or Pat Broderick or Raphael Cannon did a better job with Killer Frost. So it's – I'm glad Al Milgram got to draw it. He created the character, but probably other artists may have done better service to it.
0: How fast did uh, whoever drew her next get rid of that uh, part of her skirt because that had to be a bitch to draw in every panel?
1: Oh, I think that it – I think it was around – well, if you look on the cover, it's a little more lacy.
0: Right. Right,
1: and then I think that's how it appeared more often than this sort of check pattern. Yeah, this
0: that the, I look at that thing and like, oh, forget it. If I was the artist, I'm like, <laughs> I am not drawing that every friggin' panel, or I'm gonna have like constantly have her cut off right at the waist in every panel.
1: Now, I will say, even though Al Milgram, uh, you know, I was a little disparaging about it, she is kind of hot. Um, but okay, here's a weird thing, and you're just gonna go bah! at me. But you notice her boobs are lopsided.
0: <laughs> well, she's her, but her her shoulders are lopsided. I mean, not as pronounced, but yeah. one arm is right. Yeah, it's a little more. Yeah.
1: Okay. And they're very well separated, too. So. Anyway, so um, one of the weird things about Killer Frost is she's actually been, there's been two people gone by the name Killer Frost. And it, the weird thing is the origin in that the, the original was Dr. Crystal Frost. She got trapped in a thermo chamber, became Killer Frost, died. Uh, later on down the line, she died. And she. it's kind of Firestorm's fault she died. Because when she was Locked up in prison, she got put in this freezing chamber, and that was slowly killing her. So she dies, and then her friend feels like she, that Killer Frost, or not really, but that Crystal Frost deserved to live more so than her. So she recreates the accident. And beca- <laughs> Check this out it's, it's weird. She recreates the accident, becomes the new Killer Frost to the point where she sort of submerges her own personality, and the original Killer Frost personality sort of like takes over this girl. So it, it becomes a question of uh, Louise Lincoln's. The second one is Louis, Louise Lincoln just totally bat crap crazy to the point where she can kill herself or put herself in a life-threatening situation and convince herself she's someone else. Or is the question was posed later on, is the Killer Frost entity almost a disease that can be passed on from person to person? <laughs> because you know, what are the odds that every other superhero that's done this sort of you're trying to recreate the uh, the experiment? Ends up with slightly different powers. These are identical. The personality is identical. She thinks the same. It's just really strange. So, anyway, uh, one of the neat things about her, too, is she's a cold character that actually has to absorb heat from people uh, to survive. Which actually makes sense if you think sort of about refrigerators and the way refrigeration actually works. It's there, There's a little more sense there. I like that. So. And, uh, of course, the dress is awesome. I love the original Killer Frost costume. Again, I think Paris Collins does a better service on the cover, but um, the original Killer Frost costume was just totally badass. All right. All right. Next up, Killer Moth. Um, (laughs) One of the stupider characters in DC's history, but uh, done artistically very nicely here by Tom Mandrake. I mean, it's a really nice drawing of Killer Moth. Now, um, he... Tom Mandrick didn't draw Killer Moth, to my knowledge, at any point before this, but he was drawing the Batman title, so it made sense to have him do it. Now, probably the most famous things about Killer Moth is that – well, the thing most people remember is he was connected to Batgirl's origin. Uh, Batgirl's first case, she fought the Killer Moth. So, and uh, another thing I found interesting is, as I'm reading this is he tried to be sort of like – a Batman for criminals. He, he set himself up with a mansion and <laughs> he had a cave and a modern crime lab. The Moth Cave. Well, he, he basically felt like um, having decided that the criminals of Gotham City needed a guardian, just as the Honest Citizens had in Batman, he became the Killer Moth.
0: So. <laughs> I'm sure I'd feel very secure with this guy looking out for him.
1: Right. Well, I mean, he completely screwed everything up and became a laughing stock, which is as he should have been. But it's. The thing I found odd was in the. Uh, where is it? Somewhere in here, it talks about his eerie costume. And I'm like, what?
0: Yeah. What? I mean, what? Maybe if there were no lights and.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Saw him from
0: far away. Uh, you know, but yeah,
1: we got. It's under powers of weapons. His eerie moth like costume.
0: What? <laughs> oh, no, my clothes. Um I will say this though you got to give him credit he got put into live action long before a great many batman villains before two-face ever got in live action
1: when was he in live action
0: okay i'm glad you asked that he was the villain in the unsold batgirl pilot that they made when they thought batgirl was going to get her own tv series and they they decided <laughs> yeah. to just fold her into the batman tv series but she the the villain that she faces in the batgirl pilot is killer moth
1: What's he look like?
0: He doesn't look like this. He, okay. Yeah, the costume is is much more rudimentary, but it
1: is in fact Killer Moth. Oh, that's crazy! Now I will say the mask is kind of cool, but like everything else is just ridiculous. And uh, well, the name, now, the name, right there. I mean, right now he did get a remake somewhere along the line, probably Under- Underworld Unleashed. I imagine when it happened, but he became like. Craxasis or something like that. Oh, see, that I, takes all the fun out of it. He's,
0: he's well, just silly and just, just own it.
1: But he became a very credible villain at that I point because he was a creepy, almost like uh, aliens kind of monster. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, it was, then, it was the 90s. You know? uh, yeah, I know, I know. All right. Uh, next up is the Aquaman villain that never was, uh, <laughs> Killer Shark by Kyle Baker. Really nice, nice piece. I mean, anything I my Kyle Becker looks great, and this is like one of his more savage ones. I mean, he's, he's he does some great fun stuff, but he does some nice savage stuff. You get the, there's two guys who've gone by the name of Killer Killer Shark, and both are here in the foreground. One is in his green Nazi attire, and he's like, rah, you know, yelling, which is pretty cool. And then the other guy's in the purple attire in the back, Sans Nazism, and just kind of like. Rah! You know, and then the serpent, you get really nice drawings of their face, although not without their masks. Interestingly enough, so I guess we've never seen them without their masks. And then uh, one of them looks like he's engaging in fisticuffs with, which has got to be Black Hawk. Yeah, it's back Black back. Hawk. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice stuff. And um, weird, <sighs> kind of weird. I, I, oh, you know, I meant to research this. I, I guess I didn't get to. Is that Killer Shark number two? <laughs> Appeared in Blackhawk number fifty. Yes. Whereas Killer Shark number one appeared in Blackhawk two sixty nine. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I meant to research that. I didn't get around to it. Sorry. So I'm gonna let our amazing listeners do that research for me. You know, did did the second guy appear before the first guy? So.
0: Yeah. Well, they when they, when they when they brought in when they did this, they they basically wrote a story that pitched an earlier version. And made him chronologically appear before the other one, but yet he appeared in a comic book that was printed later, if that makes gotcha. any
1: sense. Okay. So he he fought the Blackhawks, and then they retroactively introduced one earlier than him in yes. a Blackhawk story? Yes. Okay. All right, Red, gotcha.
0: Retroactively making him the, – the, the earlier one making him number two.
1: Gotcha. So – and then there's some, like, interesting sort of speculation where it goes on about, you know, possibly this killer shark lived on Earth-X – parallel Earth to to which the Blackhawk counterparts from another parallel world, Earth 2, migrated to join the Freedom Fighter. So I guess the Blackhawk from Earth 2 went to Earth-X. And of course, whenever Earth-X gets mentioned, they like to talk about the traveling between the two worlds. I still don't get why who's who's so fascinated with travel to Earth-X, but whatever. Uh, And now it says, however, there's now only one Earth left as a result of the so-called crisis on Earths. It is not yet known whether both or either of the killer sharks survived the crisis. You know, and it's really weird to see "Crisis on Infinite Earths" all in lowercase. It just doesn't sit well with me.
0: <laughs> you know, and considering it's Shark Week this week on Discovery Channel, uh, they should do a show about these guys.
1: <laughs> and why have they never fought Aquaman?
0: Uh, that doesn't make any sense either. I mean, well, I mean, the, the Nazi one certainly couldn't have because apparently there was never Earth to Aquaman. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I love your impersonation of me, by the way. Thank you. Well, no, that was that was that, that was me. Doing a Lin or whoever wrote that okay. shame, shameful letter response. Oh uh, uh, But but yes, the, he should. I mean, the guy's name is Shark. For God's sakes, he, yes. he's got Aquaman written all over
1: him. I would agree. So nice, nice drawing, nicer print. Uh, love the, the the sharpened teeth. Eee, creepy. All right. Uh, next up is the King. Who uh, this is actually a 2 pa- uh, a split entry. Half the page is dedicated to the King. The other half is dedicated to King Faraday, um, which. Uh, in a minute, I'm going to tell you why the king should have got a full page. But anyway, uh, the king appeared from 1940 to 1943 and had a ton of appearances. And it first appeared in Flash Comics, drawn by Marshall Rogers. No connection to the character, but is uh, you know it was a nice piece by Marshall Rogers. Does a very good job in the foreground. He's very much a man of uh, you know uh, wearing sort of a tuxedo sort of thing with a top hat and a mask, and he was a master of disguise. You see him actually painting probably that dust that yeah. uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> that whatever that hair dust is to make his hair dark and a mustache and all that. And uh, he fought frequently a character called the witch who I thought was kind of funny. Like, although the king continually upset her schemes, he did not turn her over to the police since he was, had a strong attraction to her. Uh, <laughs> nice. And what uh, an interesting character in that he was actually, by the general public, thought he was a villain, but in actuality he was a hero. So kind of a cool sort of twist there. So, anyway, half page. Next. King Faraday. And uh, his interesting name, his, he doesn't have an alter ego. He has a code name. And his code name is iSpy. iSpy. Which uh, I was a huge fan of the iSpy TV series, so I had to look it up. King Faraday actually predates the iSpy TV series. So. Yes, he does. In fact, his first appearance is in the awesomely named comic Danger Trail. That
0: is a great little comic. It only ran for five issues. But yeah. boy, that is some fun go anybody just go look at the covers just the covers to that series and tell me you are not swayed because it is a gorgeous looking book it looks i have them and i have not i've only read like the first two there there's like four or five stories every issue and they're just like spy stories mystery stories they are a load of fun i it it makes me sad because this entry by Carmen infantino murphy anderson just doesn't do it justice it just doesn't um he doesn't look that interesting here. He's just standing there. His head is way too small. His overcoat is made of butterscotch. It just doesn't look like it works. <laughs> I really wish they had maybe – I knew why they are not going to give him a whole page because he just – at this point he was very obscure. It's only later on that he's been sort of brought back. But uh, but boy, that, that Danger Trail comic is like a little hidden gem of the DC universe. That that deserves a reprinting, a, um, like a nice edition because that is a, a wonderful little comic.
1: No, was it a DC book or a yeah. Carlton? No, it Charl- was a DC okay. comic. Yeah. Okay. Now you mentioned, as you said, Car- Carmen Infantino, and Murphy Anderson drew here. Now Carmen Infantino created the character, apparently.
0: Right. His art, his artwork is in some of the Danger Trail books, and that was when I mean Carmen Infantino in the '50s was was you know burning on all thrusters. And, well, I was uh, gonna say in the,
1: I didn't realize. Well, of course, yeah, he was drawn Flash. Of course, he was drawn in the fifties. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was sitting here thinking, how could he have been drawn in the fifties? But of course, he was. He drew comics right. in the
0: forties. So, um,
1: jeez. Yes,
0: but uh, so. the, the the Danger Trail stuff is is gorgeous, and uh, I, uh, I, the, the, this would be the kind of thing where like I wish they had gotten somebody like really kind of hip. Like I mean, Marshall Rogers clearly was doing the King. I think probably because he wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, you. I don't think you'd waste quote-unquote, somebody that, kind of that big on this very obscure character without, I think, I'm going to bet that Marshall Rogers has to do it. I would have loved to have seen, you know, somebody super cool like Steve Rude or just to really kick this 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 one up a notch. This is, it makes me sad.
1: <laughs> like, well, the, the parents Cutlins having him drink a martini on the cover was brilliant. That's so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Now, um, now he, and to be fair, Faraday had appeared somewhat recently in the Batman title. So right. he had come back recently. He did, so. but, I mean,
0: he, he got used
1: a lot more later on. Oh, yeah, definitely post-crisis. Okay, now I'm going to tell you why either the king or King Faraday deserved their own page rather than being squedged together because the next is a full-page entry on the Knights of the Galaxy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lots of dead a, space.
1: A, oh, my gosh. It, the drawing takes up almost the whole page. You get basically what, three tiny little paragraphs in the corner, wedged in the corner, um, the Surprint, by the way, is uh, is actually kind of nicely done. It's a solid purple, and it's actually space. So it's, you know, the whole spacescape with little tiny pinpricks of starlight and a few ships and a really Carmen Infantino kind of flying city. It's Carmen Infantino and Joe Rubenstein who did this. Now, um, it, it, it's Knights of the Galaxy. is a team of people, uh, including Lyle and Aura were kind of the two main characters. Um, there's not a lot to say about this group because they had, yeah, count it, one appearance. Really? One, he only appeared in one well, appearance? The research I did came up with only one appearance.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Mystery in Space number one. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, again, if comic book uh, database was wrong, that's so be it. But, you know, Carmen Infantino and Joe Rubenstein drew it. And again, Carmen Infantino drew some of Mystery in Space number one, so clearly he had a passion for it. But other than that, there's nothing worth talking about with these guys. The art's not even that exciting, Really? Uh, they're all kind of running at you as a big team of, there's like, I don't know, ten guys here. Um, you can really only see Lyle and uh, Aura, though. So, again, one appearance of them, or the king who appeared a bunch of times, or King Faraday who had appeared recently, either one of them would have done much better with a full page.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't realize he like made one appearance. Woof.
1: Again, someone's going to research that and probably tell me I'm wrong. But that's what I came up with. All right. Next up is Cobra by Alan Davis. Cobra with a K, And it's got a great – I love that logo. That's probably a logo from his own series where the O is the world and it's yes. got a giant snake, yeah. which looks great. Um, Alan Davis, beautiful drawing of Cobra, you know, sort of like standing there in a very angry sort of – zealot way, holding a giant snake wrapped around his arm. In the background, you get a close-up of his face. You get him and his girly girl, him and his cool ship, and then him with like, some cool weapons that come out of his gloves. Nice drawing. And, oh, by the way, take a drink, martial arts. Um, now Alan Davis had recently drawn him in Batman and the Outsiders, which made him an ideal choice for this.
0: Where Batman referred to him as the second most dangerous man he ever met.
1: Really? Yes. It would himself be the first?
0: No, somebody wrote in and asked uh, Mike Barr... Uh, Guessing, are you saying, that, is, is Batman saying that Ra's al is number one and Barr confirmed
1: that? Oh, okay. There you go. Um, interesting premise. You know, you, ta- you mentioned earlier earlier. He's one of the few villains that got his own series. Yep. Uh, sort of like the Joker or Secret Society of Supervillains or even later on Eclipso. So it was just kind of a neat idea. The guy's a cult leader. And, um, you know, it's, I never really got him, but I never really had a problem with him either. You know, I always thought he was like, oh, that's just Cobra Commander. But, you know, whatever.
0: No, I always liked him. I mean, they they uh, they had him tussle with Aquaman for early on, which I liked quite a bit. And the, mm. it had a it had um, Batman and Green Lantern guest starring in Aquaman oh. to take him on. So yeah, I always liked this. I always thought this was a cool character. I think He's a, a neat visual. Uh, I you know the whole cult thing is kind of a neat idea. I mean, DC did that and other things, Brother Blood and all that other stuff. But Cobra was kind of first there, and uh, yeah, I always thought he was. I always thought he was really neat.
1: And for any of you Famu Rattler fans out there. Uh, he's actually uh, orange and green, same as the rattlers. So there you go. There you go. So, uh, but again, Alan Davis drawing, just beautiful. Yeah, you can't drawing. beat that. Yeah. So.
0: There's not enough Alan Davis in in this a...
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the the Sir Prince, it's not weak, but it's not spectacular. But the foreground drawing is just yep. wow, out of this world. Okay, next up, Cole by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be, be his they? name. Really nice logo, very crystalline. She looks great. Now, out of all the the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise okay, be his name, start I've seen, um, this one's kind of sketchy. It's almost like he penciled it, and it, they never inked it, if you see what I mean.
0: Yeah, the the, the surprint is, is a little rougher. I, I actually – this is one of my favorite pieces he ever did because yeah. I love the angle. The camera is slightly below her. Yeah. Uh, it's very dramatic. I mean, uh, to me, I always thought this character was – Pretty, pretty weak, uh, but well, he makes her look fantastic here. This is, looks – I just think this is really one of the nicest pieces in the whole book, if probably the nicest piece in the whole book. And, and again, a lot of it is is the camera angle. I think it just – and it, it takes extra level of drawing skill, which of course, as we know, he has in spades, oh, yeah. to draw a figure in perspective like that and get it right to where the head is going to be a little smaller because of the perspective, but yet the end it doesn't look wrong. That is, I mean, this, you know, ugh, just, we've run out of, again, run out of superlatives for this guy. <laughs> it just is so good.
1: And, and by the way, when I say sketchy, I didn't mean that in a negative way. No, I right, mean, you mean loose, yeah. Well, it's just, well, it, yeah, the line, the And it doesn't like look like it's been inked. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's been inked, so, but it's still beautiful. Her face is great. She's a gorgeous girl. She looks like, she looks very um, sort of magical princessy, and also, as you said, with the with the upshot, she looks very heroic.
0: Yeah, it's you a know? great pose. Great.
1: Now, the only thing I never liked about it was I, I felt like – and I don't know the character, but I felt like it was a little bit of an upskirt shot, but I think maybe her costume is always showing – that, yeah, I don't
0: from the, know. the way it's cut, yeah. So
1: it's, it's not... Okay, good, so yeah. it's not an obscure Okay, I feel better about that then. Okay. Um, yeah, but it's very princessy, very cool, very heroic. I dig that. Now, she kind of came about in the Baxter series. Of, that's probably the biggest thing she had going against her, was that she came about in the Baxter series of Teen Titans. So it's not, oh, you never mind, she was involved with Jericho. <laughs> that's probably the biggest thing that's got going against her. She's clearly got a bad, cho- bad taste in men. So... Um, Sad, sort of weird origin, how her parents experimented on her, and they were <laughs> crystal insects and stuff. Like, oof, man, poor girl. But uh, she died in crisis, sadly. So uh, right. another another loss. So, But I love that. I've always liked her cape, that crystal sort of cape. Yeah. Really cool. Really sharp. So neat stuff. Moving on. Final entry, Kong the Untamed by Alfredo Alcala, I think is how you say yep, that? yep. Um, first time, I think, we've, I think it's the first time we've seen him in, in Who's Who, but that's because he drew Kong the Untamed in his series back in 1975, the one for five issues. Um, he is a Cro-Magnon, uh, Cro-Magnon man, and he there's this great legend of the yellow-haired Kong, which is, I guess, another character they refer to, and that's where he got his name. So kind of cool stuff. Now, there, there's in the third paragraph, there's something I'm just going to need to bring up here where they refer to um, the sun. Kong was the son of a woman, Atu, and the tribal chief, blah, 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 blah. Sun is misspelled. Instead of sun as in a child, it's sun as in, you know, our star soul. And if there had been, perhaps, I don't know, a proofreader on this issue, things like that would have got caught. I'm just saying, they need Brenda Pope. So, anyway. (laughs) Anyway. yeah, anyway, Kong, I always wondered if Kong the Untamed and Anthro, like, hung out.
0: Yeah, I wonder about that. Yeah, they could have combined them and Commandy together in one big book.
1: Um... Oh, it actually says, oh, it actually even says it here. Kong was uh, born at a time apparently after the birth of Anthro. Sorry about that. Anyway, so there you go. That, folks, is Who's Who number 12. You get the final page, which is always one of my favorites, where you get the blurbs about stuff that's upcoming. Really great coverage here. You get All-Star Squadron and them bursting out of a 1985 calendar page, which is so cool. Uh, you get a cover to GI Combat, which, quite frankly, I didn't know was still being published at this point until I saw this ad. Uh, you get Firestorm number 45 with a beautiful cover but not beautiful interiors um, with my this is actually this particular issue of Firestorm was where my dis, my, my trouble with George Tuska comes from anyway you get a uh, crisis number 12 cover where they're all pounding on um, the anti-monitor uh, a legion cover with tear and a superman warrior of mars cover so lots of fun stuff they do reference the JSA graphic novel forthcoming graphic novel which must have become the last days of the JSA i i would assume
0: i believe so yeah
1: Yep. And uh, there you have it, man. That is Who's Who number 12. <laughs> wow. I really didn't think there'd be much to talk about here, but we, apparently it we, still took two hours. We think
0: that every time and every time we're wrong.
1: Yeah, so. All right. Uh, we're going to jump into the feedback here? Right into feedback. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to get rolling. You jump in anytime you want here. Uh, I'm going to start with some comments we got from Siskoid who left us literally character by character feedback over on firestorm fan, much appreciated. Uh, I do like where he mentioned infinite man. He said, I have a weakness for any character whose skin looks like outer space. Well, maybe not the Troy costume, but the stars are the best part of it. So, uh, I, I'm the same man. any where they can incorporate the source starscape into a costume. I'm all about it. Infinity man. He said, it's the original firestorm shag five guys become one sort of, Okay, tenuous connection. <laughs> Love that. Talks about Insect Queen, and he makes a really good point here. It says, another supporting cast snub. Lana Lang should have gotten her own entry instead of under this crazy, seldom-used, superheroic identity. I agree with that. So true. Uh, he mentions Gem, son of Saturn. <laughs> I like his comment here. Ooh, Frank baiting. <laughs> and... In the first of many comments from our listeners about Jericho, (laughs) bring on the hate. Bend down, Jericho. Stab yourself with your belt. Amethyst calls. (laughs) She wants it back. Serpent can't handle showing his power either. So I don't feel so bad. There's a lot of hate for Jericho here. Now, here's something where he and I are going to have to go duke it out one day. He says, Legends? Dude, rose-colored glasses there. Yeah, yeah. You guys are so wrong. Mutant Mania done in the DCU. Lame despite the John Byrne Art and Suicide Squad mission. What? You know what? Maybe Maybe Legends needs to be uh, something for an upcoming Fire and Water or something. I don't know. I'll take that week off. Uh, and then he goes through, and on his site, uh, Cisco's Blog at Geekery, he does uh, this great thing he does uh, every month. After we finish an issue, he actually comes back and does little breakouts on different characters. And he did ones on Immortal Man, uh, Earth 2 Insect Queen, Invisible Destroyer, and Jason Bard. So, very cool. Makes a very nice compliment of the show, and we appreciate the shout-outs he gives us when he does that. So, uh, Next up, we heard from Anthony Durso, The Toy Room. I like his comment.
0: The uh, icicle crisis cannon fodder. Anyone?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he steps out here and defends Infinity Inc. Because there's actually some Infinity Inc. Bashing uh, from our from the feedback from folks. Uh, this was over the uh, by the way over on Firestorm fan. He says the Generation Saga is one of the most underrated storylines of all time, in my humble opinion, or in my opinion. Hmm, interesting. Uh, he talks about Insect Queen. It was the Earth 2 version, which I, I had a, a real problem with, other than that she was hot. But it was created by E. Nelson Bridewell, who's obsessed with about this type of uh, trivial nonsense. Yes, he was. And am I the only one who's a parent when they hear E. Nelson Bridewell? You can't help but think of uh, the guy who wrote the uh, Clifford books. Just asking. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes you
1: are. <laughs> Jason Bard. How did Jason Bard rate an appearance during this run, but Commissioner Gordon did not? Well, because
0: Bard had his own series. Gordon, I don't think, ever did, did he?
1: Bard did not have his own series. He had his own backups. Well,
0: that's what I meant. He had his own strip. I don't think Commissioner Gordon ever got his own strip. Dude! So? no, nah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm just
1: saying. You know what, uh... Mr. Toy Room, never a truer word was written. I okay. am not
0: saying that that is the correct way to look at it. I'm just saying I think that was the the, the standard that which they.
1: All went. right, all right. By the way, you jump in here at any point if you've got anything you want to talk about. So um, I'm just re-
0: I did. He did want to mention. He also mentions how much he hates Johnny Thunder. I don't know how about. I don't know about him being a douche, but he was at least always the least effective member of the JSA. Couldn't someone else on the team have controlled the Thunderbolt and left Johnny at home babysitting Peachy Pet?
1: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, he talks about here, and this is a recollection because I'd be interested to see if someone can come up with this, but he talks about Johnny Thunder 2, who was an awesome Old West character that we just both like, fell in love with. He says that in DC Comics Presents issues, they tied John Tane, who's Johnny Thunder 2, to Chuck Tane. Oh, God superhero. oh for God's sakes. <laughs> Let it go, people. Right. So, all right. Uh, the Joker, this is interesting. Marshall Rogers did the Joker entry, and you and I both kind of expressed. Yeah,
0: we, no one agreed with the on that.
1: Which is it. Yeah, he says here, I have to disagree. I love this entry. Marshall Rogers' version of the Joker was not as maniacal as say Neil Adams, so the pose actually fits Rogers' version perfectly. So, all right. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to agree with you, but I'll credit that that's a, that's a worthwhile opinion, I suppose. I want to mention uh, this thing about Hop Harrigan
0: I really wanted to mention. Um, do it. He's Hop Harrigan, it wasn't until about a month ago that I discovered that Hop Harrigan was responsible for a catchphrase that's been used in my extended family for decades. <laughs> Whenever my grandfather or one of my great-uncles seemed to be tuning out the sound of their, the their wives' voice in a football game to get their attention, the wives would yell, Hey, CX4! I never knew what it meant until I recently researched it and discovered that it was apparently Hop Harrigan's call letters. So I was thrilled to actually hear it as a tag to the podcast. That's unbelievable.
1: How that great. That is Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. What a weird series of circumstances that had to come into play for all yeah, of that to that come is, together.
0: That is, that is crazy. That is, so. that, I think, in fact, I think that's, I think, uh, that's our Yellow Dot <laughs> Award winner for this month.
1: There we go. Congratulations, Anthony Durso Toy Room. You, sir, have earned a yellow dot. I think he may have earned one previously, too, because he's so good, but that's okay. Um, I do like this bit where he talked about Super Friends. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he points out how the characters that appeared in the comic first could make it into things like who's who, rather than maybe Marvin and Wendy and and, and all those who appeared in the cartoon first couldn't appear in the comic book. But then he says... when DC and Hanna Barbera ended up under the same umbrella of a corporate parent at WB, that DC was able to use these characters more fluidly, either in their merchandise or in the universe. And I didn't never thought about that. Right. right. But he's absolutely right because later on, I mean, there was that terrible run in Extreme Justice where they brought in the Legion of Doom, they brought in Zan and Jaina, and all that stuff. But yeah, that makes sense. So, um, big thank you to Michael Bailey, who mentions our Who's Who podcast. He does these series of Who's Who classic entries where he shows different entries that were related to Superman in some way, shape, or form. He's covered recently Black Rock, Black Star, Black Briar, Thorn, and Atomic Skull. And uh, he gives a shout-out to the Who's Who podcast when he does that. Really appreciate that. So uh, he did this, too. The Firewater podcast, hosted by Shag Matthews and Robert J. Kelly, has a sub-podcast Who's Who's Who. It's a great show, and he even contributed something to the comic book lexicon involving an artist and praising his name. <laughs> this time out, Shag has attempted to add another such phrase into fandom. Time will only tell if boob window catches on. <laughs> uh, he actually wrote, Boo Widow, which became a big thing through there, which is funny. Oh, I right, don't know yeah. if I originated the term "boo Widow or not. Uh, I don't think so. But either way, I guess we can take credit for the show, at least popularizing it. Heard from our buddy Ange over on Firestorm Fan. He, uh, he had to step up here to the plate, uh, not that we were knocking it, but for Iron Wolf. I mean, we praised Iron Wolf. He takes it to a new level. I am a huge fan of Howard Chaykin, and I love the Iron Wolf stories in Weird Worlds. How much? Enough to review it at length on Diablo Frank's DC Bloodlines blog, and he gave a link there. You can see so much of the classic Chaykin themes in these stories. The liberal hero, tired but dogged in his fight against tyranny, great word ploy, beautiful women, slick action. The exhausted hero who hates both sides of the war is so classic for Chaykin. So many other things still intrigue me. Anti-gravity trees, wooden spaceships, urchin's blood drug. Micah the Drug, Vampires, Pirates, Hamlet, Sheba O'Reilly the Pirate Queen. There's so many ideas stuffed into these three issues that it would be, could be told over th- it would be, t- sorry, there's so many ideas stuffed into these three issues it would be told over three years in the current market. It's a solid creative storytelling at its best. In 1992, Chaykin revisited the Iron Wolf character in a one-shot graphic novel with Mike Magnolia and P. Craig Russell on art. Man, I could talk about this book all day.
0: I think we know that, yes. Nice. Uh- <laughs> He'll Jericho. I thought I was the only one who had an irrational and healthy hatred for Jericho. Man I, just, <laughs> man, I just can't stand this character. The mutton chops, the ludicrous outfit, the pacifism, the wonky powers, needs to make eye contact, then goes intangible and possesses person? None of it works for me. And DC tried to make everything to try to make him relevant. He goes evil, he possesses the Superboy-Bizarre-Clone match. Ugh, I just can't stand this character.
1: Love it. Now, i got to read this next bit because i got to stand up for this character. One of my favorites, Johnny Quick. He says, I have a great fondness for this character. As a kid, I loved the idea of super speed and kept trying to say the formula to gain powers. (laughs) I did too, by the way. Uh, Quick always seemed to have fun in his adventures. There wasn't a serious bone in his body. I love seeing the old Mort Meskin art with him using multiple images of Quick in one panel to connote uh, speed. So, very cool. Awesome. So, um... And later on through a series of back-and-forth correspondence, he says, Iron Wolf appears in one panel of the Twilight series as a pro-sports-type figure and a rocket-jousting-type thing. I wonder if Chaykin liked his own character too much to deconstruct him as he did everything else in that series. Still, I always thought he was nobler than a pro-athlete. Now, you know, I've got the three issues of Twilight sitting on my to be Red shelf. I may have to bust that out and read that sometime soon. Um, heard from our buddy Earth2Chris. Now, the, you two, you... Uh, You, Rob, and Chris have ticked me off here, even though I still think Chris is awesome and I'm going to come over to his house and play with his Play-Doh. But it says here, I have to agree with Rob. Crisis was a great read, but unnecessary. I have nothing but the utmost respect and love for Marv Oldman's many contributions to comics, but I think his idea that the DCU needed extreme streamlining was wrong-headed. And the DCU, power as it be, just went along with him because he was writing their hottest book, and Marvel was otherwise whooping their arse. Uh, Burns still could have done a Superman run, Miller his Batman, and sure, a few stories may have been made non-canonical, but there was plenty of that already. DC threw out what made them unique among superhero universes, and they've been scrambling to find their new niche ever since. See New 52 for their latest plug for that whole
0: thing. <laughs> Great turn of phrase.
1: It is, but I totally disagree, guys. I, I, think, I think Crisis was the right thing to do. I think it brought in a ton of new readers. It was a new world to explore. The difference between the New 52 and Crisis is that the, new, the Crisis was done at a time when the comic market was at its peak. It even peaked a little more in the 90s, but not in a healthy way. But it was, you know, comics books were huge at that point. And I don't know, I think it was done right. So I disagree with you guys wholeheartedly. So
0: Hmm. Uh, I I think if, I think if everyone had gotten restarted across the board, it would have been worthy to do. But the fact that it was done sort of piecemeal uh, is the thing that didn't make it work for me. You know, the fact that, that people remembered that they were f- from another world and yet they weren't I, and i think that's where i think the the idea wasn't necessarily so bad but that the implementation following it was was deeply flawed and so in my mind i look back and i say you know what? I didn't even need to do it in the first place just just let everybody reboot the characters and just let just refresh them you don't need to like do a, a line wide kind of thing so
1: You know, I was about to say something which kind of contradicts itself. I was going to say, well, that's where you just have to let continuity not be, you know, a millstone around your neck pulling you down. You know, you just say, well, it doesn't matter that it took a couple years to get Hawkman straightened out. They did. But then if I follow the same logic, then you could say, well, crisis wasn't necessary either. So, okay.
0: (laughs) I know. I talk myself.
1: Talking myself into a circle. Anyway, all right.
0: Um, Chris also mentions about Jade, though. Jade, for some reason, I never thought of the center of Starheart
1: symbol as a peephole. Now I can't unsee it. There you go, baby. There you go. Now, you had mentioned under Infinity, Inc., the stream of ruthlessness was a great, great story. But he says it actually came from a classic JSA story from All-Star Comics number 36. Kind of interesting. So
0: Okay, I don't think that I... Okay, I don't remember saying that it was Roy Thomas's invention. I just remember saying there was a storyline involving it in Infinity Inc. that I thought was really good.
1: Maybe but I didn't. I'm not, I'm not sure which way, but I just okay. thought it was interesting that it actually came from something yes. early. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't like a point the finger at Rob going, ha ha ha, but anyway.
0: I may have said that. I may have said that Roy Thomas created it, which of course is not correct. So.
1: Now, it says here on Superman homepage, Radio KAL, KAL podcast, they refer to Jerry Ordway as the ordained one. Which I'm not sure I, – I know uh, Michael Bailey appears on the KAL podcast, so I don't know if that's his phrase or not. But that's not bad. Jerry Ordway, the ordained one. Um, they're also uh, – oh, he just – yeah, he goes on to say Beyond Reproach is fine as well. So I don't know. I kind of like Beyond Reproach. So it's tough to say. Yeah, uh, in Justice Gang the World, he says here. I'm surprised Rob didn't mention this. Being a Treasury Comics guru, I would prefer to call him uh, maniac, but anyway. In the legend, in the legendary Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man Treasury, Lex Luthor uses IGW's ship and satellite headquarters. That's right, that is right.
0: You know, sometimes I I think to say something and it just goes right by me. And related to that, everybody uh, brought up the fact that the actor you were trying to think of, that the yep. Joker's pistol was Conrad Veidt from the Man Who Laughs. I knew that. I don't know why I didn't say it. But I knew that. I've always known that. So I don't know. Sometimes I just get to zone out or something during these shows.
1: Yeah. Now he comes to defend um, the Marshall Rogers Joker as well. Right. Everybody so. did. Everybody yep. did.
0: Although so. they did agree with on Johnny Thunder. He are right, Rob, you crack me up here. I think you're right. Johnny is essentially the JSA snapper car, only he's less lame because he did have a Thunderbolt and his own long-running feature. His entry is gorgeous, and yes, even I would have tried a Johnny Thunder series by Steve Lea <laughs>
1: Now, interesting here, uh, I had said that I thought Johnny Thunder, the the female lightning bolt one, um, was, I thought that was, originally I thought that was the Earth One Johnny Thunder. And he says here, the Earth One Johnny Thunder was a bad guy, and he fought the JLA and JSA twice. (laughs) Rob, you know this. Take your vitamins, man. (laughs) Clearly you haven't been taking your vitamins because you got sick. Um, We heard from Philemon, who was actually the very first responder on uh, the Who's Who podcast. But clearly, for whatever reason, we are always at odds with Violet. I feel bad. We're, like, always disagreeing with him, and we always really get harsh on him. And that's not going to change today because he says here, he had written on Twitter that, because I I I'd posted something, I think it was me, who said, like, who's your favorite character from this Who's Who? And he wrote Jericho and Inferior 5. And then he says, but I forgot about Insect Queen. Like, dude, I don't know that you could have hit three more characters we made more fun of <laughs> last episode. Just Jericho is, my top, is in my top five favorite characters ever. Interesting power, unique personality, ses- sensitive artist types are superheroes are pretty rare, and a costume that, if nothing else, was distinctive. The parallaxing was heartbreaking and unnecessary. So um, I'll agree with you about the parallaxing bit. But every other word you wrote is, in fact, in a sentence. But are all shouldn't be written together.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all in the wrong order.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that, buddy. Don't take it personal. But you're crazy. Um, Kyle Benning uh, was kind of. I had asked for. By the way, many, 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 many of you came through after the last episode. Thank you so much. I had said we need a list of the who's who 1989 annuals for future entry. Many of you came through. Really appreciate. It. Kyle Benning was one of them. Just want to give a shout out. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, he gave us a list of there too. Heard from Count Druncula. Probably one of my favorite comments, simply because he's insane. Uh, it says it's ridiculous that this issue did not include entries for I, uh, Amon and Impulse, despite their not being created or established at the time of publication. If they could donate a page to Invisible Destroyer, who only appeared once, then they should have been able to give space to characters who would debut eight and fourteen years later, <laughs> which is just insane. Totally reasonable. And then he wrote, "Jericho is one of the top three reasons why I hate Deathstroke." <laughs> So I um, want to give a shout-out to Little Russell Burbage from Fairfax, Maine. Um, he said, I never realized that these Paris Collins covers resembled Marvel Handbook, but now that you say it, it's so true. I went and looked at all the past covers, and they seem to follow the same pattern. Lead character, character in front, character on the fold, back up, close up, and then I do agree with Shag that the, it's cool Infinity Man illustration. Um, he came to the defense of Invisible Kid, who we sort of mocked. He, des- he says he deserved way more attention than you guys gave him. He was a Legion superheroes leader for crying out loud. I like how he's become a pseudo boyfriend to Chemical King in Death too. Uh, as for and uh, so you know, hey, there you go. It's fair, a very fair statement. It just it's not from an era of Legion I read. So I I you know okay. Now here's where I get to pick on little Russell Burbage from Fairfax, Maine. He says Jay's costume features a boob window. I don't think so. Uh, I never noticed that before. I always just thought her logo was light green. Uh, Of course, I just realized that the black color of Obsidian's costume is his skin also. I I didn't know that. I didn't know that black color. No, I I, don't think I did. Huh. So, um, again, I I I keep reading these because I love them. I am so glad I'm not the only one to loathe the character of Jericho. I like the idea of him, but like you guys said, his visuals and personality black. Um, And he also... he jumps into like the Joker piece as well. Go ahead.
0: I, I got to read this comment. He says, I think I remember reading somewhere that Merry Man from the Inferior Five is based on Woody Allen, but young Woody when he was still Sam the comedian and not old Woody the pedophile director.
1: So. <laughs> but I love how he starts that comment.
0: I, I, I. So
1: not a fan. <laughs> uh, we heard from our buddy Robert Gross who goes by Martin Stein Returns. He Now, he stepped up to the plate to defend Johnny Thunder, again, J-O-N-N-I, uh, by Dick Giordano, the female Johnny Thunder. He wrote, I loved Johnny Thunder. It was the first miniseries I ever collected as a kid. While the superhero angle might have been uh, tacked on sop to the fanboys... Not to mention the design of Thunderbolt. I thought the private eye by trade, superhero by chance gimmick worked really well. One of the things that really worked for me is that even though she was retroactively declared to have been R2, she might have been in her own little world, which is exactly how I like my superheroes. And then he starts to talk about how she was a strong female character, and that was great. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a very valid argument. So there you go. Good He thought. also
0: makes a case for extraordinary Jerry Ordway. The word extraordinary has ord and airy in it, which I like a lot. I think that, that that's in the running at least.
1: So would it be Extraordinary Jerry Ordway or would it be Jerry Extraordinary Ordway? No,
0: I think Extraordinary Jerry Ordway. That, that flows off the tongue quite well.
1: Or Jerry Ordway, the Extraordinary.
0: No, no, no. Extraordinary Jerry Ordway. Okay. It's, All right.
1: it, it's out there. It's out there. there. It's go. been discussed. Right. So um, Now, interesting contrast. I just read Little Russell Burbage from Fairfax, Maine said that the Paris cover, Cullens covers did look like Marvel Universe. In comes Diablo Frank, folks, who, by the way, is on Twitter now, so look out. Anyway, he wrote after pooh pooing most of Paris Collins' covers, I must admit that this one was head and shoulders above his earlier offerings. I disagree with Shag about the resemblance of Ohatmatu, whatever that stupid acronym he was used, because those characters were always in full figure exiting to the right in a sea of drab white negative space. That rigidity of design gave Who's Who an opportunity to improve on Marvel, and in the instances like this, with characters of different proportions, perspectives, spilling out in all directions, DC one. So he does not agree that it looks like Marvel, and he's mm, pretty knowledgeable on that Marvel Universe handbook thing. So, uh, I, I made fun of Infinity Man, calling him Captain Power and uh, or not uh, Captain Planet and Cyhawk, But he says, you know, I actually prefer Cyhawk to Infinity Man. To repeat, I prefer the recycled new universe concept that I at least have a nostalgic connection. To over a Jack Kirby creation that no one else could be bothered to do anything remotely substantial with. It's like saying I like grits over gruel.
0: (laughs) I like uh, point T. Jennifer Morgan exists. I acknowledge that objective fact, but I wish to deny her presence and my subjective truth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like this bit because it's just insane. Blah, blah, Jason Bard, blah. This page is all about Javelin. The first Green Lantern comic I ever bought was his debut appearance, which ended with him putting Hal Jordan in an impossible-to-survive situation. Javelin was the first of many who taught me to hate Jordan because of what kind of hero nearly dies because they're covered in yellow paint. The answer was not Hal Jordan, which I learned years later when I finally thumbed through the second part of the story and felt jipped. I think Javelin has a great costume and a unique weapon, but he punched but he punched way out of his weight class and gets mocked for it. He only got two Suicide Squad appearances, but he survived both. So how about that? <laughs> that was quite possibly the only defense anyone has ever put out there for um, Javelin.
0: Uh, he also gets in on the Johnny Thunder hate. Which he says, A shag noted Johnny Thunder's origin is a long walk off a short pier. All that, <laughs> all that material and he's just the guy who summons the guy you read the story for. He's like, Jimmy Olsen, if all Jimmy ever did was turn on a signal watch at the first sign of trouble. That's okay, though. He's also the one hero who got Alzheimer's. Forget about it.
1: <laughs> i got to read this Jericho thing. It's a little long, but it's a good case of, of Frank's insanity. Um, I used to dislike Jericho, but I never saw him as irredeemable, and the overwhelming negativity towards the character makes me feel bad for him. I read a Tales of the Teen Titans solo two-parter with him back in the day, and I liked it. Uh, he was a ladies' man, a sensitive artist. I liked the storytelling accommodation made for his muteness, and I think his power is kind of cool. Really, all my issues with the character are laid at George Perez's feet because everything truly worthy of loathing are in the visual aspects. It's like after Al Milgram failed to create the most ridiculously unappealing character ever, which, by the way, is a stab at Firestorm, uh, Perez took up the challenge, completely destroyed all competition, and then smugly spiked the ball by creating Pariah Cole and Harbinger as well. Everyone thinks he's a sweetheart, but there's this corner of pure evil in George Perez's heart, and it's manifested by 85% of... Every character he's ever created. I dub it cr- the Crimson Plague. Logo's okay, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, Perez does like to create characters whose costume cannot be reproduced by other people. Yeah, That's tr- yeah. Kerry uh, Gamble – I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Oh, no. I, no, I wanted to end the, the last comedy, Mick, but you, you have something else. So go ahead.
1: I was going to say, Kerry Gamble, at his peak to me, was the nearest competition to Jose Luis Garcia Lopez in terms of on-model licensing, friendly, universally perfect superhero art. Which, by the way, I totally agree with. I love Carrie Gamble. Too bad his uh, talents are applied to Johnny Quick, a character I assume for years was just some fake retro hero. Instead, he was yet another Mort Weisenberger brand ripoff of a popular comic character. His costume's okay, but that and Liberty Bell are all he's got. In Golden Age comics, he looked more like Cannonball than Quicksilver with energy blasting from his lower half.
0: Uh, yeah, and he, he mentioned a couple comments about the Joe Orlando House of Mystery. As a fan of Hostess in the 80s, I brought several issues of Elvira's run where I never intentionally purchased a Joe Orlando-era House of Mystery. The stories were forgettable anthology fare, just as had been the case before the repackaging, but I got a kick out of Elvira's bookends and the quasi-Cheesecake Scream Queen covers. Brian Bolland did the first one, as seen on the cover role in this issue's inside back cover. I'm pretty sure I didn't pay full cover for any of them, though. And then he ends with, <laughs> Did we ever get a Congo Bill stinger? We deserve a Congo Bill stinger. I agree with that,
1: Frank. Some truth to that. I uh, heard from Phil Rutledge, who's a, one of the Firestorm fan guys. He also has one of the largest collections of Firestorm. Uh, sketches I've ever seen by famous artists. I mean, just it's amazing collection. Anyway, um, he shared with this one of his a personal story. And I always love these, so I gotta, I gotta do it. Um, I purchased comics off the spinner rack in the 70s and early 80s in a small town before I went off to university in a larger city where I had access to real comic book store and a pull box. As a result, there were a ton of holes in my collection since A, I didn't always have the money as a kid to buy every issue, and B, the distribution of comics into small rural Canadian drugstores wasn't great. And then Maybe him and Siskoid went to school together or something. There were only like 10 people in Canada, right? Uh, in the 90s, after graduating and getting a real job, I was able to buy and fill a lot of those holes. However, this led to reading lots of runs and starts and stops and stockpiling runs that I would read uh, in order someday. What I really started enjoying uh, is picking up trade paperbacks to collect some of the epic stories from the 70s, 80s, and being able to read them all in, finally in order in a great presentation format. So he, he lists out some of the ones he's been reading lately. Uh, he actually mentions those two Justice Society graphic novels I mentioned at the top of this uh, podcast. Aquaman, Death of the Prince, Original Firestorm Run, Huntress, uh, DC Comics Presents, got to love that, JLA, JSA Team-Ups, in The Crisis on Multiple Earths, and Guardians of the Galaxy appearances in uh, Tomorrow's Avengers. So cool stuff, cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, go ahead.
0: Well, oh, Ben Avery left a comment on Firestorm fan. He said, "I don't know much by. I don't have much to add by way of well anything approaching what most commenters here have, but I will say thanks for keeping up the good work with these. Even the issues where you complain about how boring the contents are, you manage to make interesting and informative. Keep it up. I'll be with you through Who's Who and Star Trek.
1: Uh oh. <laughs> Stay healthy, Ben. Stay healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Take your vitamins. Um." Heard from Luke Giaconetti over on Firestorm Fan. He's quoting me uh, where I said, he's a Hawkman villain. No one cares. (laughs) He wrote, really? (laughs) Because, you know, obviously he runs a Hawkman blog, so he's a little ticked off of me probably right now. So anyway, uh, IQ's origin includes Adam Strange in an oblique way as the rock which gives him his powers was found by Strange. His deal was more is the more sunlight he absorbs, the smarter he gets. So he will sit in the sun and get super smart before planning his heist. IQ is actually a very effective Silver Age baddie, able to concoct lots of gadgets to baffle the Hawks. Probably the only defense uh, ever written for IQ. So, anyway. (laughs) But we love Luke anyway.
0: They did make that movie about him with Walter Matthau and Tim Robbins and Meg Ryan, so they can't be all bad.
1: Uh, Uh. Tim, Tim. In, 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 wait, in closing Solomon Grundy won't pass too
0: <laughs> Tim Wallace from Aquaman Shrine said Am I the only person that listens to this podcast Rereads my who's who's and thinks I bet I could write a cool story using some of these characters Maybe I should try my hand at fan fiction And then <laughs> uh, Benton Gray popped up and wrote Tim, no, you are not at all alone In fact, I've got pages and pages of notes for my own little projects That aim to do just that I love second stringers I suppose I've always had a thing for underdogs That's part of what drew me to Aquaman And his hard knock relationship to D.C.
1: And you know what? I mean, I'm telling you guys, I, like, certain things, I, certain entries I read, I start writing stories in my head, too. Like, Iron Wolf totally got me into it. Balloon Buster got me, you know, energized. There's a lot of these entries where I'm just like, this character's too good to waste. They need to do something with them. You know, the Grim Ghost, all those were just great. Now, um, he, there, there's, a, there's, there's a crazy train happening here that I'm not very happy with, people, where you guys are bashing Legends. Because he comes back to, to bash on Legends, too what is up with that <laughs> wait am I mixed no yeah he goes uh, oh I've lost my place oh so shag by your implication the legends is supposed to be a good event yikes I think you may be stretching it a bit there the ideas are pretty excellent dark side turning da 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 um, he says that uh in despite the fact the book is mostly C-list characters uh, I take a perverse pride in the fact that <laughs> uh, that he has ever uh, Wait, he has 80 or 90% of these, obscure or not. He says he's, uh, it makes him a completist. Ugh. So, uh, and he's, see, in the same vein, this goes back to the story about uh, writing your own stuff. In the same vein, Shag, I'm totally going to put together a mission with IQ and Trickster teaming up. That's genius. So I guess my note did make sense to somebody, so I'm glad, because I couldn't figure out why I had written that down. So... Uh, we heard from Blue Scream over on Aquaman Shrine. He just gave a comment. Uh, he said he loved my Jester story. I appreciate that. Thank you. And he said, I ran a Red Bee Legacy character for a while. Wow. That eventually met up with the original teammate, Michael the Bee. <laughs> oh, Wow. Dude, that, that, that's insane. That deserves an RPG award right there. So. Um, oh, my gosh. We got our email from Jack Dower. Yeah. Oh, it's all caps. <laughs> A great slander has been laid at the feet of DC Comics by one Conrad Filburn. The injustice cannot, nay, shall not stand. The diminutive Mr. Filburn complained that DC has no prominent characters under six feet. For shame, Conrad, here's a list of some DC's greatest characters who achieved Olympian heights in spite of being well under six feet. He lists out quite a few, and then he ends with, drumroll please, Oswald Chesterfield Copperpot the Penguin. Take that, Mr. Filburn. He calls him that. the arrogant
0: avian of avarice, which is fantastic. Oh, uh, he asks us a question always: uh, which forgotten characters in the Susu who would you like to see revived, and how would you do it? I, I, he, I, I'm never prepared for his questions. <laughs> Iron
1: Wolf, man, Iron Wolf. Yeah, absolutely.
0: that's true, Iron Wolf.
1: And I, I, and I, it, I think it would need to be in like an anthology space series. It really would, like uh, you know, something where you get like sixteen pages. Uh, the
0: Knights of the Galaxy, too.
1: Oh no. No, absolutely <laughs> I not. I think I'd bring no. back
0: Invisible Destroyer just for the hell of it.
1: Now, okay, I would bring back Invisible Destroyer because he's just—he's too insane. But from this particular issue we just did, um, probably Kid Eternity. You know?
0: Yeah, Kid Eternity.
1: So, all right. Uh, heard from John Godwin, and uh, let's see. Uh, he, like a few others, he said uh, he was saying, "Mommy, Daddy, stop fighting." You're tearing this family apart into his iPad when you and I were (laughs) picking each other. He said, Ed Asner, voicing Granny Goodness, more like Tranny Goodness. (laughs) God. That is awful. Oh, gosh. As you might be able to tell
0: folks, it's very late and we're getting very punchy.
1: A little bit. A little bit. So, finally, we come to my experience with Who's Who. I've been raised around comics and conventions. I knew tons of characters growing up, and around 1995, I was 10, laugh out loud. Thanks for that, man. Anyway, I already had read four to five superhero encyclopedias. In the mid '90s, I started picking up every Secret Files and Origins comic that I could find and read them to the point of them falling apart. Them, not me. I was reading trades and floppies from childhood, but early on, I was going uh, to one LCS, and I wasn't interested in finding. Ba- I'm sorry, and I wasn't interested in finding back issues at conventions. When I started going to more cons, more LCSs, and the internet came around, I really got into collecting back issues in the early 2000s and started getting exposed to more random comics. I saw who's who in the back issue bins and thought it looked outdated. I like to stay updated on my characters' histories, origins, and storylines, so this really didn't seem right for me, especially considering I was still reading the new encyclopedias, getting secret files, reading Wikipedia when it came around, and just talking and listening to what people knew about the characters. It is still outdated, but it's part of, that's part of the charm. I don't have the nostalgia factor you guys get from it, but listening to you talk about it almost gives me the sense of it. It makes me think of hanging out with friends while we're flipping through the encyclopedia and running across great and stupid characters. And I usually know more about what's written about them than in the book. And chat and laughing together with them. I actually got to do this a few weeks ago and loved every second of it. So, you know, that's great. I love these origin stories. I love that, you know, here's a guy who's coming to Who's Who well after the fact and doesn't even have any history with it. So it's great. I, I love the fact that he's listening to our show, man. I really appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Yes, that's wonderful.
1: Uh, we heard from J. David Weeder. Uh, he just sent us a picture of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise Good be his name. name, a picture that he, uh, a book he had done. heard from Carlos Rodriguez. Uh, he also sent us, uh, directed us to a list of who's who annuals from 1989. I really appreciate that. Uh, he says, I spent last week catching up with the who's who podcast and now I can't get that theme song out of my head. Absolutely right. By, uh, Daniel cynical Adams and the bad mamma jamma. We really do
0: have to put together a fire and water album. We really are building up quite a nice little collection of hits.
1: We really are. We really are. And, uh, you know what? Since we're not really going to get to give credit, should we credit the song that's going to play with this episode? Yes. Uh, this was sent to us by Jason Jones, our uh, FKA Jason, and uh, him and Roy Cleary, uh, I guess, had a band together a long time ago?
0: Simon and Garfunkel.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> myrtle, myrtle. It's, a, it's a song about Green Lantern. It's a band Charlemagne uh Roy clearing him back in the 1990s and 2000s. So, uh, yes, little... in,
0: in lieu of the, the, our normal closing theme, we're, it's gonna, we're gonna wrap up the show with the song. So that, that's what we'll go out with.
1: Cool. Awesome. So, heard from, uh, some people on Facebook, heard from David Fiore, heard from, uh, Oscar Olede, uh, Anthony Cohn, and, uh, we heard from Gene Hendricks. Who's a buddy of ours? And he was kind enough to give us a shout out on his blog. He gave us, uh, he talked to us on Facebook, and he said how much he's enjoying the podcast, and it helps him with his commute. And he sent us an email. So, um, first uh, first of all, no love for Calendar Man? No. He's one of the greatest Batman stories ever told. No, no, he's, no. he's not. He's no. so, so, check this out. So, I'm driving somewhere today with my stepson, who's 13 years old, and uh, he has been playing Batman Arkham City, which is a, a teen rated game. And, I don't know where this came from. Out of the blue, we're just driving along. And he goes, who's Calendar Man? Yeah, he's in the game. Yeah. <laughs> so what the trip? So I had to like to, – oh, you know what? Uh, and, and Gene even mentions here he's in the game. But uh, how, what a trip that just came out of the blue. And I'm like, where did that come from? So anyway, it was uh, kind of funny. So, Sooner
0: enough, so. I'll put Composite Superman in there too.
1: Yeah, so, uh, he says, I'm, uh, I'm already a proud member of Foam, but after hearing t- Rob's tirades against Todd McFarlane's art, I'm even prouder. My <laughs> first memory of his art was when he took over Batman year two. Suddenly Batman had a cape that was 5,000 feet long, which he never dripped on. This is nowhere near as bad as how it became, uh, for which I referenced Spider-Man number 16, where Spidey is swinging along somehow above the World Trade Center with his triple jointed hips. Uh, anyway, so, and he puts forth the vote for Shadow Lass as the hottest Legionnaire. Huh. Blue skin or not, she needs to be uh, hot to pull off that costume. Interesting. All right. Uh, Martin Gray, we heard from him. Uh, Always very complimentary. We really appreciate it. He says he really enjoyed the new episode. Uh, He he reckons Rob needs a hug, though. (laughs) He preferred – preferably from Insect Queen. Ew. Uh, As a massive Superman uh, family fan, I was enjoying the IQ – not that IQ – uh, talk enormously uh, before she was crankily rushed off stage. Boo. I'm sorry. She uh, Insect Queen was just creepy, dude. I'll meet so- you
0: halfway, Martin. I'd like a hug from Annette O'Toole, who played Lana Lang in Superman 3. I'll take that.
1: I'll take a hug from the, what's her name, Kristen... Oh, Kruik, 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 yeah. S- mm. uh, He asked Todd Klein via Facebook about the Immortal Man logo, because I had made a couple comments on it, but he couldn't recall if it was his or not, and uh, the link he sent him just wasn't big enough. So uh, He also stepped up with Conrad Veet, appreciate that, and he talked about Jonah Hex's finale um, freaked him out too, and he, uh, so, very creepy, very creepy. Heard from Dale Russell over on Google+, and uh, there was a little bit of banter back and forth in the, with... Uh, dale and martin gray because um he said uh dale said honestly this was the this was the longest or does it just seem like the longest who's who and i think what he says y'all done a whole lot of talking about nothing (laughs) basically just commenting how the how the issue did not have a lot of winners so you know not gonna argue last issue didn't so uh heard from zeb oswalt over on Facebook, say, a cool episode, guys. Congrat- congratulations, Robs, on your web comic. It was a cool episode. The Forever People guy always reminds me of Cy from the Marvel 1980s New Universe. Ding! There we go. Another Cy. It, you know what? That's maybe my new mission to get as many Cy references in Who's Who as possible. Oof. So, as for the hottest Legion of Superheroes overall, I say it's Comic Queen in the um, but in the in Who's Who, he would say it's Saturn Girl. So, uh, Steve Mandel came out and. Uh, gave his hate for Johnny Thunder as well. So, said, don't you hate a superhero whose primary power is to summon other things to do his work for him?
0: And I have to think that's part of the reason Aquaman got such a ribbing for so many years, because he had a similar M.O. He would call Fish to do his work for him. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, we're going to play a little game here. Over on uh, Facebook, uh, we had a discussion about the series, and here we go. J. David Weeder indicated Jade is a boob window. Ding! Russell Burbage said it's not a boob window. And- David Dixon said it is a boob window. Ding! Um, Randy Myers says it is not a boob window. <coughs> Christopher Chance says not a boob window. <coughs> so there we go, folks. Uh, there's your score. And uh, I am not uh, going to kiss any contestants on Family Feud. So there we go. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Mike Gillis uh, says it always looked like more the Center for Logo uh, was simply the same color as her skin. <coughs> Sorry, Mike. All right. Um, going to read this list as fast as I can we don't always do this but I just you know what I want to give some shout outs to people this time because we are our feedback hasn't been complete lately so thanks to Facebook people Andy Stabelli Alan Middleton Andy Capelish Anthony Durso Ben Avery the Captain Adam fan page Carlos Guillemarres Carlos Muchas, Karma Senior Love Chad Argebreich Charles Bernard Charlie Niemeyer Chris Hanat, Christopher J. Warden, Christopher Chance, Christopher Luke, Corey Hodgden, Dale Bagwell, Daniel Citical Adams, David J. Dixon, Devin Clancy, Douglas Mitchum, Edward Woodward, Eli McGee, Eric Rex Peterson, Giancarlo Nerlo, Greg Monson, Guillermo Valadares, Hector Negrete, J. David Weeder, Joel Riviera, uh, John Good- Godwin, John Reynolds, Joseph Ortiz, Keith G. Baker, Kevin Hansen, Lauren John Skinkis. Uh, Luke Dobb, who, by the way, was kind enough to send me uh, some Inferior 5 stuff. Appreciate woof, that.
0: Woof, woof, woof.
1: <laughs> oh, right. Okay, that was a dog. Took me a minute. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Marcos Aranita, Matthew Rodriguez, Max Romero, Oscar Olede still can't say it, man. I'm sorry. Randy Meyer, Ricky Roma, Robert Gross, Ronnie Ling, Russell Burbage, Sammy J. Maynard II, Scott Allen, Scott Crosby. By the way, I haven't said it again. Russell Burbage from Fairfax, Maine. Scott Allen, Scott Cosby, Sean Corey, Sean M. Myers, Chester Aguilera, Steve Inry Smith, Stig Erickson, Tim Wallace, William Boyd, and Zeb Oswalt. Over on Google Plus, we heard from Martin Gray, Dale Russell, Keith G. Baker, Luke Jacknetti, Siskoid, Kevin Cult, Ben Avery, Alejandro Reynoso, Hector Negrete, Edward Crosby, and La Cueva del Nerd. Over on Tumblr, we're getting some—we're uh, starting to get some traction on Tumblr, folks. Thank you very much. I speak in verses, prophecies, and curses. This ain't no moon; this is a burning sun. Tsuji tunes. Comics make me happy. Sock Punk. Mikasa es Sukasa. The Brave and the Bold. Kavana Rose. Kaxtrim. Sweet Klana, which was cute. That's a. That's a. Uh, Clark and Lana, mashup sweet Lana Uh, Tigrist, which is all about uh, the Tigris character from JSA, uh, which is great Stoned Gorgon, Teen Titan Now JSA Revisited, Sentinel Alan Scott Eel Perrin, uh, Redtha which is about uh, Panther, Uh, December 360 Keith G. Baker and Patrick M. Duggan Got some Twitter folks I just want to give a shout out to real quick Heard from, uh, Twitter support from, yeah that's right folks Raphael Cannon Firestorm Artist, Hell to the Yeah, and Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway, pretty it's, awesome. It's oh, Extraordinary
0: Jerry Ordway.
1: Sorry, sorry, sorry. I tried. Anyway, uh, Corey Hodgson goes by Higher Rock, Keechee Baker, KGB, uh, B- you know what? I'm just going to say their names. Corey Hodgson, Keechee Baker, Cosmic Times, Siscoid, Aquaman Talk, Luke Dobb, Do so you woofing. Oh, sorry. Woof, 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 woof. Okay. Bob, that's because Luke Dobb's dog should get mentioned more often, because he's a great dog. Oh, Rory. Uh, What's that? Rory. Rory, that's right. Paul Bowler, uh, Dub uh, WYSIWYG, uh James Gearton, Paul Cornish, Luke Giaconetti, Joe Coffey, Jay Jones, Dave Z, Lauren Skinkiss Art, Eduardo Escobar, uh, Blossom Linden, Carl Brow, Brow sorry, that's CACstream, Uh Ga Vanden Rose, Tweetaholic Rose, I like that, Ling Lee and Sweet Clark and Lara, again, Sweet Clana. And a couple different things. Uh, I heard from Hector Negrete uh, on Twitter. <laughs> His hashtag was this week's Spanish lesson. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ariel Olivetti, not E-R-E-E. Anyway, I got it wrong. Surprise. I yeah. uh, heard from Tom Zoller. This is when he's getting ready to go. Uh, Tom Zoller, who draws and writes Loving Capes, by the way, was getting ready to go to the San Diego Comic-Con. He wrote, I intend to spend the entire Who's Who episode of Fire and Water podcast on the elliptical so I can be super buff for San Diego Um, Comic-Con. You know,
0: if uh, Tom drinks anywhere near the same amount of uh, Pepsi that he drank during the Cuban school, that ain't happening.
1: Maybe he's on Diet Pepsi. I don't know. I saw a picture of him with Firestorm at San Diego Comic-Con. He looked decent, so... There we go. Uh, heard from Cord Industries, uh, which is Tim Wallace, right? Yes. you wrote, got to stop searching eBay while listening to Firewater Podcast. <laughs> and he sent us a pic of – it appears to be either a complete run or nearly complete run of Hex. Yes, Tim, you need to stop compulsively drinking and listening to Who. that's for sure. Um, heard from uh, – I don't know how to say this – H-O-C-O-F. He pointed out we had talked about New Genesis being destroyed. And I was like, what? And he said it happened during Hunger Dogs. Heard from uh, Alexander Adrock, he said, how is there not a metal band named Haunted Tank? It's so badass. (laughs)
0: And their opener is Kid Eternity.
1: There you go. Exactly. Randy Caldwell, Mr. Perturb, said you may have, to, uh, you may have a point about Phantom Girl because I've been saying that I think Phantom Girl is the hottest Legionnaire, not necessarily the hottest Who's Who entry, but he says Shadow Lass is his all-time favorite. So that's two votes for Shadow Lass. Interesting. Heard from Jimmy McGlinty, said he enjoyed the Who's Who podcast. Great back and forth between you two in you this podcast. Some interesting characters. The Our Man addiction was done well a few years ago in JSA when Rick went up against Bane. That's a good point. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, think I would have loved to have Who's Who on hand for some of the characters. Hive, I could never get into whenever they come up. father 2, not being a big New Gods fan, he may need to get the Kirby trade paperbacks, he said. And by the way, yes, Jimmy, you need to get the Kirby trade paperbacks from New Gods. It's so good. So, anyway, uh, heard from Ange. He splurged and ordered a variant Superman Unchained by guess who? Hashtag praise be his name. <laughs> So uh, he said, I wax poetic about the gang in Hyathis, which are, by the way, two groups that Rob and I really bashed. Because, but those dog are all in comparison to my love of Iron Wolf. Just warning you ahead of time. Now, he, we already read his bit about Iron Wolf there. But, uh, and then he also sent us a picture of Iron Kid, uh, I'm sorry, Invisible Kid dying at the hands of Validus. Um, let's see. Uh, Tony D said, I'm finally listening to the rest of the Who's Who episode, and you guys shouldn't, shouldn't be so hard on Johnny Thunder.
0: Well, he said, say you shouldn't be so hard on Johnny Thunder. Oh, that's brilliant.
1: I didn't get the say you reference. You oh, my gosh. Say, you
0: go? Tony, say you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we'll like play, Tony. we well And last one uh, from Negative Steve. Uh, I just thought this was interesting. He said, always likes Jinx from Fearsome 5. Her hero clicks was really useful. <laughs> and that's. That, to me, is fascinating because I never – because I, ne- I have only played HeroClix a few times. I've never thought about characters in their in reference to their usefulness in HeroClix, which is a perfectly valid thing to think about, though. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. So, all right, folks. That's it. That's, that's it. We're done. we well. Feedback from We're Eleven. Done. So, uh, folks, please get out to the social medias. Use the hashtag – pound fw podcast i should have said that earlier because by god you know two and a half hours into it i finally say that anyway f pound fw podcast please use that in the social medias both uh facebook and google plus are now taking uh tags so that would be great and um rob where can they find the tumblr for the show where they can find about 10 to 15 entries from this issue
0: fire and water com, and not that you guys need any uh, help with this but if you want to send us an email, it's <laughs> .net. And please visit Einstock Trades and buy stuff, and tell them that you bought stuff that you heard from the Fire and Water and podcasts.
1: Yeah, you can't get that. Uh, you, there's nowhere to put it on your entry or your order, but shoot an email just saying, "Yeah, yep. absolutely, please do that." And uh, you can find us on uh, our respective sites, AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. You, find it, you can find us both on Twitter and Facebook under the same handles, and you can find FirestormFan on Google Plus, Tumblr, and Instagram as well.
0: Uh, Yeah, you can also find my stuff. I said the Ace Killer right now is in between seasons, but uh, he'll be back soon enough. And I should have some news. I know I keep saying it, but I really mean it very, very soon about Hey Kids Comics True Life Tales from the Spinner Rack and news in referring to where you'll actually be able to get the damn thing. woo
1: Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Uh, Until next time, folks, we still need a (laughs) tagline. Good night.
0: It's magic green It is the color green It can do anything Sometimes it speaks to me, it says How,
1: in outer space it's like i own the place do what the blue men say wish they would come away Why, what's the matter? The
0: council has met, and I'm sure your life will be forfeit. Don't you fool. One misstep, and our troubles with Congo Bill will be all over.